0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is now the 9th of September of 2021.
1: Yes, it's 9-9. Yeah. Nine, nine. Oh, like, uh, I was going to go with the German joke there, but it just feels it feels one too easy and two so aimless and pointless yeah, I mean, like I was going to be like, oh, it's like kind
0: of Germany in general. Like, we never do that on no, this show.
1: we've never done that. Uh, those weirdos and their vor. Uh, well, it's going to be a weird out of context thing. If you haven't listened to past episodes, a week yeah. longer recap. It just sounds really like a recusatory of an entire nation.
0: Imagine if someone, like, suggests this show to their friend. And the first episode they listen to is us talking about how all Germans love vore.
1: I really, I, I, I under, I like... There's a part of me that wonders how people get into this podcast, because we've been doing this now for 10 years, how someone just like dives full on into it. Because I know we have some people who have listened to this podcast since it came out, and I definitely know we've had people who have not listened (laughs) from the very beginning. Absolutely. And part of me is like, God, there had to be like weird references or commentaries or jokes we started that you just had to be like, what the hell? Why does Ray... From the promised Neverland, sound like an obnoxious dickhead. And you're just like, oh, well. And that one you wouldn't even, that one you had to have listened to a bonus pod to understand the origins of.
0: Yeah, that's right. Cause we covered that in uh, W. Mar Lives. Yeah. Uh, but, and then, and, and it's like, uh, yeah, we've had some stuff that like keep, like, I remember like something like five years ago, somebody asked me wh- where the Unahana is dead joke started. And I, and I had to explain it back then. Can you imagine <laughs> if we start if Bleach actually does make you know a more regular comeback and I, and I start doing that again? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we uh, we've been doing this for a while. Also, I do understand that yeah, there could be a little bit of that. But as ever, we do just like have new stuff to talk about, as, as so we,
1: there always
0: is. We set our eyes on the present and on the near future, as always. To the
1: WrestleMania sign of the future, Nick. That's,
0: yes. I'll just let that stand without without rebuttal. Um, We had a lot of chapters to cover last week. We covered it late, and so, like, some of the stuff that comes out on Thursday what came out in time for us to talk about it on the late recording time. We recorded that off of Twitch. So if you missed that, be sure to check in all the usual places uh-huh. that we post it on Podbean and on YouTube and everything like that. Uh, but for this week, we have fewer chapters to cover as a result of that. But I would say quality over quantity. There are a lot of really good chapters this week. Um, unfortunately, we start off with what might be the worst, worse <laughs> oh strong but strong words from nick already okay so um actually well i say it might be the worst as if like the ones that we don't hate cover aren't worse <laughs> <than it is. laughs> go for it but we are going to kick things off with my hero academia chapter number 325 the bonds of one for all Last time, the momentum was going in favor of letting Izuku stay at UA despite a bunch of people in the crowd. Well, one person in the crowd being a big dickhead, and everyone else just being too shy to do anything and speak up on behalf of the kid until rock shouted at them a bunch and was like, Look at him! Look at how much he smells! And then they were like, I guess we should take care of him and Coda and the uh animal morphed large woman who izuku saved who still doesn't have a name as far as i can tell because it still has not been brought up at any point in the time that she's shown up uh they were the first to rush over to him and try and help him and that's where we begin this chapter uh with koda being the first to kneel down and help out uh deku and uh he's in tears and he's apologizing and saying that you know I was too scared to run over and help you, but I had to try because I want to be like you, and that's why I am here. Which is a very sweet uh, detail that uh, he he pulls out that line. Um, and so, although he is an incredibly snotty and teary-eyed child at this moment, he tells he tells Deku, don't you don't gotta cry anymore. It'll be okay. It's it's a very sweet little moment. Uh, and then uh, the large animal woman kind of helps. I, sh- I-, I doesn't help. She like just under the arms picks him up and puts him on his feet. <laughs> um, and she says, "Yeah, there were all these shelters that w- that turned me away. Uh, I kept on getting rejected until you finally, you know, sent me towards UA and 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 you helped me. And and you know that meant that I got to see you again. So that's really lucky for me. And I just want to say thank you for saving me, my crybaby hero." Which is, again, just like, okay, this, that's a sweet little moment. That's nice. And both of them are holding on to, to Deku and helping him. And so we get a weird sequence in my opinion at this point because there's this guy in the crowd with a star t-shirt on and like star patterned hair and he had to have had this speech ready. Like he had to, (laughs) unless, unless it turns out this guy is just like a public speaker in his, in his day job. We don't know anything about him. He might be. So maybe he is just winging this. He's just really good at this stuff, but he gives a long argument in favor of allowing Midoriya to stay at UA. Uh, and there is a bit where you know he says like hey you know this guy needs to take a break and there's food and supplies and shelter here this is the best place for him to do it isn't that right heroes and he calls over to Nezu and the other teachers and Nezu is like yeah yeah you've got it you, you're covering all my points i had a cool <laughs> speech too but you, you go ahead yeah i guess you do whatever man um and uh you know Someone does bring up like, well, why can't he just go to somewhere else? Like, why can't he go to Shiketsu? And someone rightfully brings up, I mean, he'd probably get the exact same reception that he did here. So good point. And the star shirt guy says, until our world went to hell, I never realized it myself. How I was like a spectator
1: and heroes were performers on a stage.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about?
1: He's like, do you, do you ever really think about it? We're like, we're all actors in a movie. And there are the stars, and, and we're just the sidewalks that the characters walk upon. Like, what are you talking about, my guy? Like, uh, You know what? All right, let me start over. Uh, I dropped right. a lot of acid before we did this, and there wasn't time to, like, figure things out. There's a stinky kid over here. I'm just winging it, fucking space monster, whatever what you are. You're floating right now. This I is- said a lot of
0: acid. This is my first pass on this. Okay, normally I'd have time to like punch it up, you know, sit down with it, uh, you know, do you some not, pot. And- you're not, <laughs>
1: you're not really supposed to see the first draft. I'm supposed to get a couple more shots to like kind of iron some things out, change the words around, take out the space monster line I dropped earlier, because that was <laughs> now that I'm starting to come down a little bit, I realize you're a normal person, not a space monster. <laughs>
0: Although, if you were a space monster, I am pro-space monster. Just want everyone to understand That's why that. I have
1: the stars on my shirt. I like things from <laughs> space. Everything in space is cool to me.
0: That's neither here nor there, but that is the next step in our evolution <laughs> as a society, by the way. Once we get all this stuff against heteromorphs settled, aliens. <laughs> aliens, we, we got to open our arms to them, okay? <laughs> It's going to happen, and we will face the vengeance of God himself, who is also an alien, if we don't take steps towards being more accepted people. Anyway, uh, let the smell of kid inside. This guy is
1: slowly turned into Alex Jones, but just like a weirdly open-minded Alex Jones. Way more likable Alex Jones. <laughs> He's just screaming. He's like, they're going to turn to frogs gay, which is great. I love frog weddings. They're my favorite part of the day. I wish I'd go to frog weddings every goddamn day. God damn it, I shit my pants!
0: Uh, you need to go on my website and buy all my overpriced products <laughs> so I can start putting that towards helping out gay people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to use it to start rebuilding villages, people. <laughs> one, <laughs> one step at a time. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> so, Star Shirt Guy ends up essentially saying we've all just kind of been watching heroes and taking it for granted, but we can no longer be spectators and just observing them. We need to take action and, and do our part to chip it and help out. And no one really says anything in response to this for a bit, but it's clear that like the tide is turning and that people are starting to come around to this side of thinking. And so complainy dude with the umbrella and the all my t-shirt who kept on talking about how much he didn't want smelly Deku to be in, in UA anymore uh, was like, he says, hey, you know, if you if we let you rest here, will we get to go back to our old lives eventually? And uh, Deku promises that they will. He's like, yeah, everyone is here together with me, and together we will bring it all back. And the, the douchebag guy is like, okay, as long as I get something out of it, that settles it. Um. We cut over to where Endeavor is with Hawks and Todoroki, and ectoplasm. I think sends out a clone to go talk to them because he's too lazy to walk. Uh, and uh, he's like, "Did you did you guys hear what happened over there? Did you hear Uravity's speech? You guys should come in and see for yourselves what's going on." Okay, so they do. All right, um, and Endeavor. <laughs> really does undercut the last several months of My Hero Academia. Because he says, in the end, all we did was cause more pain for Deku. <laughs> yeah, I guess that was the final consequence of this, wasn't it?
1: It is something where you're just like, yeah, I guess that is really where it boiled down. was like, it's just like, did it sound like we really made any progress? Same, same exact point, pretty much. It's really, really makes you question what the last three months of My Hero happened. He's like, I guess Lady Gant's dead. That's something. Everyone's like, that's a bad thing that happened. He's like, oh.
0: Is she actually dead? I don't think... Quite, like, I, I'm not really clear on that, personally. Like, <laughs> I looked at her when she was all charred up and stuff, but, you know, then I got bored and never asked anyone afterwards if she was alive or not.
1: <laughs> you guys have to understand, uh, dramatic situations bore me, and I just get very tired and stop paying attention to them. So weirdly you think being a hero would be an awful job to me because <laughs> i get very tired of the situation like i'm halfway through for like putting out a burning building and i'm just like eh, i'm gonna go home and i just leave and nobody knows where i went i didn't tell anybody so pretty bad at my job but, uh got this cool trench coat looking pretty baller so i'm still pretty happy with life oh you guys aren't standing next
0: to me anymore where'd you go <laughs> uh hawks has a more poetic thing to say he talks about how you know the true power of one for all is that it links people together and so all might has been tied with Midoriya. class a has been tied with him and uraraka linked Midoriya to all these people and so if everyone together is just you know a little bit capable of seeing each other as united as one then i see a future where heroes do have time to kill one so bright we can't help but grin so yeah, he has a more optimistic look view of this. But, I mean,
1: you kind of would have to. Yeah.
0: Then endeavor, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and while he says this, we get this big two-page spread of Class 1A and Inko uh helping Midoriya through through the crowd. Um and I'm not really sure what is going on in certain parts of this image. So it seems like, you know, for the most part, Class 1A is just kind of, like, interacting, like, civilly with the bystanders. Because we see, like, Yao and Kirishima just kind of, like, talking with a few people. Uh, Ida is clearly like, hey, everyone make a path. And then over on the left side, Kaminari has just smacked Bakugo over the back of the head. And at no point in this chapter did I see the thing he's hitting him for. So I don't know why he did that. <laughs>
1: I thought I heard somebody say that he was talking to the dude who was like, go away, stinky, or whatever, like the the angry dude or whatever, and I guess maybe was going to give him lip and Kaminari was just cutting it off at the past, like, hey, dickhead, don't don't bother. But also, at the same time, we all know who Bakugo is. He probably did something prickish and deserves to be smacked in the back of the head. It's just, it's who he is. He probably did. It's just weird because it does sort of seem like it comes out of nowhere. I'm just like, you know what? Fuck you. Nick, are you going to say right now, with full confidence in yourself, that Bakako did not do something to deserve being smacked in the back of the head? Let me put it this way. I would not bet a pizza
0: on it. There you go.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: uh. Um. And then, you know, after... Hawks delivers that little speech, Todoroki brings him to Endeavor. Hey, we gotta do this together. We get a little flash of Dobby's face to remind the, uh, us of where where their, you know, subplot targeting is going towards. Um it's a little bit I guess just a little bit odd that we've got this, like these very clear lanes for like this is who we, this is what villain this here was connected to. So we've got Deku and Shigaraki, Uraka and Toga, uh Todor- the Todorokis and Dobby. Nothing going on with Bakugo. I mean, he did get kidnapped by this group at some point, so it would, I it wouldn't be out of place to have there be some sort of a grudge between him and someone in the League of Villains. But
1: I would almost assume it's still Shigaraki. He did. I was gonna say that he he, he did almost meeting, get killed so. by him the last time, so I assume that's who it is. Mm. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see some stuff. I guess there's also Ashido but hopefully in Gigantomachia, you you'd like to hope that plot line goes somewhere and didn't just get abandoned.
0: Considering that, uh, especially now that, you know, Gigantomachia, I believe is the one who was responsible for midnight being dead. And, uh, obviously a bunch of them were really upset about that. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll find out eventually. Uh, we then cut over to Aizawa who is talking to Nezu over, uh, Tablet, I guess. And uh, Nezu just passes along, like, yep, the class did it. They managed to bring your student back. And I was like, okay, tell the class president, good job. Um, and uh, he says that he, we see that he has been fitted with an artificial leg to replace the one he cut off so that the decay wouldn't kill him. Um, and Nezu brings up, like, and what about Kuragiri? Because Aizawa says, I try to speak to him every day, but no progress on that point. Presumably, Ever since the first meeting that they had at that point, a few years ago. Um, But Nezu says the breakthrough that you and Mike had was the inspiration to ship some Nomu, Kurogear included to central hospital in secret and begin restorative research. So they are attempting to do something about all the people who have been transformed into these monstrous pseudo mindless beings. Uh, And, Nezu says it may be faint, but there does remain a wisp of hope for us that they could save these people. So, hey, people try to be heroes. That's nice. Um, and uh, they also bring up that as part of the security measures that they have at UA, they actually quarantine people to make sure for a certain period of time just to make sure that they're not Toga in disguise. So fair enough. That makes sense. And that's just kind of it. We we end on a shot of All Might, and that's it. Um, So, okay.
1: Maybe he looks kind of sad, though. Maybe he's very he sad that he let Deku kind of get to the point he's at.
0: Possibly. Um, I don't know if we're... I think it, he looks like he might also be walking away from UA. So, I'm not sure about that.
1: Yeah, that's the impression I'm getting. It looks like him walking away from UA, so... I don't know. Perhaps. This is a fine chapter. I didn't particularly have anything to say against it or for it, per se. Uh, But it was generally pretty decent artwork and an okay adventure all around.
0: I do wonder if we give it some time and come back and were to read, like, the past four or five chapters, like, in one sitting, if it would feel any different. Because I feel like it tried to do something... And I didn't quite feel it. Uh, That is my initial reaction right now. But I'm not sure if I'll feel that way about it once it's not being read week to week.
1: That's fair. I think it's it. All right, Nick, let's move on then to Undead Unluck number 77. On your mark. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Uh, so we open in a flashback at a Brazilian, and I don't know how to pronounce this word, so I apologize now, Favela? I'm going to say
0: Favela. There we go. So,
1: uh, and, it's uh,
0: Portuguese, so I'm not confident. So
1: the, There's a narration that says, to the boys born in this city, sports are the hope to help them open a way to the future. And we see Top in a race. And uh, everyone's saying, that also applies to Top Bull Sparks which I guess is his full name, which uh, Top Bull Sparks a pretty awesome name, all things considered, who bet his future on track and field. So Top just wins a race right there, and he, he does. I feel like this is a, like, a significant pose, and I want to say it's Usain Bolt, but that might just be because I only know one famous <laughs> track and field racer, basically. Uh, so we, we see Top. Who's it still- is. Okay, there we go. He's celebrating his big victory there, and uh, one of his fellow friends is saying, Hey, did you hear about tomorrow's race? They say it's a screening for squad members, and if you get first place, you'll get to go to the Olympics. And that's basically guaranteed job security for everybody. Top even notes, awesome, if I did that, I could eat all the burgers I want. Uh, But they all note that even if, if they all compete, only one of them would get to do it. So the rest of them are going to go right back to living the lives they're currently in. And Top kind of just throws out there, if it's worth that much money, then I'll take the prize, give it to everybody else. And they cut them off and they're like, no, your money is to help yourself. It's not to help our lives. Buy yourself some shoes, get some good food, live in a better place. Use that money to get faster. We we don't want you to to waste it. You know, don't don't. Let your feelings for us get in the way of this moment, basically. One of them even going, like, this is a serious thing, so don't get cold feet. And run with all you've got. So we cut over, and uh, Top has gone back home, and his mother has made an entire roast chicken for him uh, to better prepare himself for tomorrow. Now, the chicken looks a little odd, but that might just be because... I don't know what good chicken looks like. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten a full rotisserie chicken in my life before. So, uh, but Top's like, "What's up with the good food?" And His mom's do you, do like, "Do you want me to go and
0: ask the person who knows about cooking about this?" I, I will.
1: Uh, maybe if more people comment on it, then we can we can we can go it that way. Okay. Uh, his mom I'll basically be, like, uh, he, "Oh, go ahead." Go ahead. Uh, his mom's like, "You need to eat your you know you need your strength everything like that." Top's like, "No." You eat this food too, like you like it's not fair for me to have all this. His mom's like, "I already ate at work, all right, just don't worry about me and uh basically they cut over to like the evening and uh it's top basically talking to his mom about the race tomorrow, and he's saying to himself, like, I think I'm gonna lose the race tomorrow because I could probably make enough money for us even if I don't run like i I, I don't like. Pedro has five brothers at home. He needs his money a lot more. Miguel has a little sick sister. I, I know I've put you through a lot of trouble, and this is really selfish, but... I And his mom just hugs him and says, you're such a kind boy, Top. Go ahead. So long as you can, live your life with a smile on your face. And we cut to the race, and the race is off. The boys are all running. Top is running. He's starting to fall a little bit behind. He said, this is fine. It'll just be... It'll be just fine. If it means everyone I care for so much can be happy because of this, I don't mind bringing my running to a stop... And then God intervenes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And Unstoppable activates. And the next time we cut is Top in the hospital. And we find out he injured everybody. His one friend is in a wheelchair well, with no, a no, neck no, brace. Chris.
0: He injured one person. Yeah. He,
1: well, well <laughs> death is an injury of sorts. <laughs> <laughs> His, his one friend is in a wheelchair with a neck brace, his legs are broken, and his other two friends are completely dead. And for everybody, it, it seems like for his one living friend, they think a car ran out into the field and hit everybody. Like, that's what... They're like, that must be what happened, because that's a they, crazy.
0: They don't, they don't register. Like, the thing that actually happened does not even register in their minds. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: But we see Union is there uh, to basically pick up top and to... to inform him about the fact that he... just got unstoppable. And it's a negator ability. You were selected. It causes your your acceleration to accidentally cure your frenzy. They start to explain... his power somewhat, saying... if you try to stop... instead, it just makes you go faster. And... it can be very dangerous to your body. It ejects you at double the force. And you probably tried to stop during that race... and instead... What it ended up doing is accelerating you so fast that you killed all of your friends, basically. Sorry, God's an asshole. Yeah. And Top's just crying because he's like, I killed all of my friends. And someone else pointed this out to me because I didn't pay as much attention. The two he killed are the two he specifically brought up yeah. as having very difficult home lives, like lots of family members to take care of. So it's it's absolutely brutal tops crime, because it's like, I thought this was going to make everybody happy, I, that's why I stopped and even though I've stopped, all this has happened and Dewey's hugs him and says it's not your fault, your kindness was exploited by God the one who imparts these abilities on people on a whim for their own twisted amusement, and we're an organization devoted to killing that god so we will say them one day, and your ability be, will be no more, so just leave it to us and actually give him a card and basically like, hey We're going to pay for everything. Uh, We're doctoring the records, so no one will know of this incident. Don't worry about it. And they start driving away. And uh, I believe it's Nico who was in the car with Juiz. and just like, oh, what he was too young. And uh, Juiz is like, yeah, but, you know, I'd love to fill our vacancies. But mastering one's ability is no. And Top is just running step by step along with the car. And it's just saying, hey. What you can't just do a bunch of favors for me, uh, you know, to keep me in your pocket. If what you said is true, then I got to make up for my late friends and give this god jerk a solid kick in the face or I'll never live it down. And we cut back to the present as Top thinks to himself, I'm not the same guy from back then. In order to honor everyone's honest effort, I'm not going to be stopping anymore as a suit of armor starts to form around him. Yeah, um,
0: very good chapter. uh when i the first time i read this um it got to the point where uh his you know friend shows up in the wheelchair and then you can immediately see the headstones underneath that panel i literally was like jesus
1: (laughs) it's a moment where you're like if i don't look down then i could i could lie to myself and pretend they're still alive
0: (laughs) it's really brutal and just the 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 realization and the breakdown that he has afterward like that this only happened because he was trying to be nice and let them have the lives that they deserve to have Mm -hmm. and instead he inadvertently took everything from them from two of his only friends in the world and you immediately see that. Well, yeah, of course he would just be like, no, I'm going with you. I want, you know, to make something of this right because that's the kind of person that he's established to be at the beginning is that he doesn't think of himself. He thinks of other people first. Um, We really did not know very much about Top at all going into this arc, and this was very much appreciated uh, to give some depth to his character and to really get you behind him because uh, without this, he's just, you know, the shitty kid who runs fast and now I definitely am going to
1: have much more of an emotional attachment to him going forward so good shit really good flashback uh really cool setup I like that he's getting this cool new armor setup it's like I like the idea since it does sound like his power would eventually kill him if you just ran too fast and stopped the idea of giving him presumably unbreakable armor uh although I don't see the Ishin kanji on it anywhere. So maybe it's designed to be breakable. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it it's a very cool moment. It feels very much like, uh, like the Flash or something, except not dumb, you know, where the Flash has like a ring that shoots his costume out and he runs into it or whatever bullshit he does in half the shows. He puts it on really fast. <laughs> I know I saw a clip from a recent season where three Flashes make lightsabers have a lightsaber fight? And I was like, you gotta, like, someone has to recognize this is the dumbest thing ever. You ever think, so, I understand that, like, you know, it's like,
0: yeah, the ring shoots out the costume, and then he just puts it on really fast. But do you think that, like, when he has to change back, he has to just, like, take a really long time to just just
1: get get in there? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just hours and hours of, like, tightening it up he's like <laughs> why the fuck did i put the goddamn cap
0: every now and then he like takes his finger off and just springs out like one of those you know canned snake things <laughs> damn it <laughs> all right we're going to talk about spy family for as much time as this action scene will take us to talk <laughs> about because it is an action scene and it it's just a fight um that is honestly surprisingly for the way it was left off last time mostly just for laughs
1: yeah i was going to say this is uh not quite the like who knows if yor will come out of this situation okay <laughs> it's like now she's fine she she curb stomps this
0: uh Mr. Gray pretty quickly uh, takes out the sniper that was in the uh, crow's nest or whatever you want to call it, the balcony that was overseeing the field, sneaks up on him, takes it down. And uh, it is kind of cool because we just like see that happen from the sniper's perspective. Uh, Not even see like how he actually got taken out, but it seems like he got smacked And then he takes the sniper rifle and just starts taking out some of the uh, assassins that are after Yor and the others, uh, including hitting um, a hatch so that um, people can't come up through it, I believe is the implication of what he's doing uh, in one panel. Uh, And then Yor fights off a bunch of people. Uh, This one woman manages to wrap her up. Oh, he busts the lock off of the hatch so that they can go down and hide in it. It's the opposite of what I said uh york gets caught by the ankle by this whip that this woman has another hitman tries to shoot her um but fortunately uh the guy that's uh with uh with them tackles the target into the hatch and uh fortunately he was wearing a bulletproof vest so although he's a bit beaten up he's alive and will not die uh that's mr gray mr gray is not the name of the president okay anyway mr so, mcmahon
1: remember we made all those vince mcmahon jokes uh
0: then Yor does some ridiculous things uh and kicks a big crate onto the hatch that the others escape down so that they can't be pursued so that she can fight everyone which she proceeds to do and we get a lot of really quick action shots as Yorg gets more and more ferocious uh she's just stabbing the needles that she's got into people's skulls using some of the hitmen as human shields to guard herself from from gunshots uh and eventually after she drives a needle into this guy's jugular vein and kills him the fuck out um she's covered in blood because of course blood spurts everywhere from this guy's neck wound and then Mr. McMahon gets down, and he's got a mop, and he's like, "You know, I would appreciate if you could actually, you know, make this as clean as possible because we're gonna have to clean up all this evidence." Uh, so he starts throwing bodies off of the deck of the ship into the ocean while remarking, "Yeah, this is a pretty talented bunch here. There's a lot of new faces, uh, but uh, you know, they're not in our league. So, uh, now that they're all gathered one place, this will just make things easier." Don't leave any of them alive. And while Anya and Lloyd are watching the fireworks show to which Lloyd channels me to say, how can she be excited over the same thing again and again, which is how I feel about fireworks because I'm no fun. Um, Yor is just killing all these people. Bizarrely enough, we cut to the guys who were part of their cover business group and they're winning in the casino on the ship
1: okay good to know (laughs) (laughs) this was so i like the first shot because the very the very first time they do it it's to parallel the fireworks going off with the splatter of blood and i was like okay cool like it's it's a nice dichotomy it's a cool little trick and they do it again with guys being killed and guys at the casino making the same sound and i was like that's much less effective yeah it's it It starts to even take away from my enjoyment of the first one. I was like, yeah, these two don't mean anything (laughs) because I was like, yeah, I can see the comparison between splatters of blood and fireworks, much less so somebody dying and then also winning a jackpot, making the same sound. I was like, that doesn't (laughs) that doesn't track.
0: Uh, We get a silly visual of your dashing through hitmen, killing them really quickly while Mr. McMahon runs with the mop directly behind her, mopping up the mess. Um, and eventually Yor comes to this one guy and does this weird double hand finger thrust to the thorax that does something to this dude that kills him. A small assassin tries to get Mr. McMahon from behind. He's got Wolverine claws. He's the best character in the whole chapter. He's dead now. Um,
1: Oh, no, he might be okay.
0: And we just get this very brief, uh, you know, montage of like someone with a weird power comes after after Yor, and it's like, I will use my super secret technique. And Yor just shrugs it off and kills them. And we just see, we don't even see the attack. We just see Yor, uh, Yor running to the next one while Mr. McMahon cleans up their body, and they've got a, a bleeding hole in their skull. And uh, then it gets to the finale of the fireworks show. The last few hitmen go after Yor. There's a guy with a stun gun, and then a really, really big dude who just Punches her in her entire ribcage at once. And Yor just shrugs it off, grabs the guy's stun gun, thrusts it into his mouth and breaks both of his front teeth and I guess electrocutes his brain. <laughs> and then she does finger stabs of doom on the big guy and brings him down, which is parallel. And as blood streaks out everywhere, it parallels the fireworks uh, finale. And uh, there's a big roar from the crowd. Uh, after that, the last hitman that Yor is fighting in this chapter falls. And she goes, oh, I think I jammed one of my fingers. Which...
1: It's funny, because yeah, yeah. she did everything. But then at the end, she's like, ow, I think I hurt my fingers oh, kicking I all this can... ass. Yeah.
0: And it looks like they're essentially down to the coordinator for the hitman. And, like, two other guys who are just staring at shock. at all the bloodshed that yours caused and uh yeah it's it's a pretty quick chapter there are some funny bits in it there are some bits that could have gone a bit better but i can just like i can just imagine like this sequence being like animated and how glorious it would be like set it to you know a big bombastic soundtrack cutting back and forth between the fireworks and and the violence and it would be a ton of fun to watch and as it is just in manga sequential art forum it is still pretty cool Mm -hmm. um i have you know little complaints here and there but in terms of uh just a rush of a chapter a lot of fun
1: yeah i i i have like a weird mixed thoughts in that i'm like it's cool it's also not the part of your i'm particularly interested in anymore Mm -hmm. like i feel like Anytime we see yours, she's kicking ass. So it's not like I really needed a big set piece from her. Um, but it was still satisfying to have. I hope there's, like, the emotional catharsis later on as she deal. Like, I know we're going to. Like, I know there's going to be right. that. So that's, like, the part I'm waiting for. And this is, like, the thing I get through in it. I-, I-, I do legitimately think it was a weird choice to do so many comparisons. Like, the fireworks to blood, great. But, like, the other ones really did make me think I was, like... This feels like it's trying a little too hard, which I don't want to take points away or anything. It's still actually a pretty funny fight scene of her killing people and McMahon having to shuffle their dead bodies off the boat so no one else sees is kind of amusing. Um, So I do like it, but it is definitely one of those chapters where I'm like, all right, I get it. Like, it'll probably be a really cool set piece, as you said, if it gets animated or something like that, you know? Alright, All right, Nick. Let's talk about Ian Zero. Let's embrace controversy, yes. apparently. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So, let's talk about Ian Zero Chapter 158, The Madness of a Man Who Knows No Love. And we get uh, a cover page of Pino, Happy, Plue, and two other characters who I think I should remember, but I don't, dressed as Sentai characters, so I'm happy for him. Um... It's a very cute page. I bet the rest of the chapter is going to be just as cute as that. Just adorable. So last time, Laguna met up with Ajuna, and uh he was like, "What? You're the princess that I remember. How are you here? I heard you were dead." And that's where we pick up. As Ajuna's like, "No, your quote princess is dead. I'm an imperial soldier now." And he- she I don't wear bras anymore! My costume ripped three hours ago and I haven't had time to change. It really has fucked with me to realize like, for the longest time I just thought because she's wearing leather that the the white things you saw was just the sheen of the leather. Until you find out, no, it's just ripping and barely holding together. And I was like, ah, you could put something else on at that point, right? Like, why would you wear it at that point? But, uh, you know, maybe that's her, that's her style, I guess. As we'll find out, she has some eccentricities, Nick. Um. (laughs) Uh, So uh, they get into a little bit of a fight. Summons a bunch of water. And he's like, how could you betray Oasis? She's like, you betrayed us first. He's like, yes, but all I cared about was power. And... I did it all so I could get stronger. I never thought Oasis could beat Nero. They're all idealistic talk with no action. So I decided I would become the vilest scum in all the cosmos if it meant taking down Nero. Defeating him was my only goal. And she's like, yes, because the Empire killed your best friend. That's why you joined Oasis. Thank you. (laughs) And he's like, they killed the old boss too, your father.
0: And, it's a good thing that, uh, you know, this is how people talk. Yep, uh, this,
1: <laughs> this is a very good exchange of dialogue that two people naturally would have with each other, where you I get all the little details out.
0: There's, like, so much other shit that goes on in this chapter that I completely forgot about the exposition-y ass dialogue. <laughs> it's... But now that going through it again, I'm just like, God, this is so blunt
1: and <laughs> natural. Uh, so, uh... He, Laguna gets stabbed with a couple of her threads and he's just like, what happened to you? And she says, the red string of destiny. And we get a flashback to before Laguna or before Laguna left and, you know, whatever happened to Ajuna. And she's like, hey, Laguna. Do you believe in the red string of destiny? He's like, I don't know. And she's like, well, I do. That the connection that you have to somebody else, it's really real. And we're tied by an invisible thread. And he's like, are you saying you might be linked to me? But no, no I hate you, Becca. And then the flashback ends. It's a great right, the romance
0: so, for the ages. So I haven't had a pizza bet confirmation <laughs> on this Homura and glasses guy thing. <laughs> but... <laughs> pretty sure that you wouldn't take the one with between Ijuna and Laguna. No,
1: for a romance, this fucking chemistry and banal, yeah, absolutely, this is the canon relationship for the sea characters. <laughs> <laughs> with absolutely nothing that would make them interested together shown to us thus far, absolutely, this is the one true pair in hero series. Uh, so Laguna's like, what? You mean you're tied to Nero? And she's like, no, Prince Shura. He's the man of my destiny. And rightfully, Laguna's like, that dude is a fucking sociopath. Like, that sure? The one who's trying to kill all the robots in the world, the entire universe, basically. And he's she's like, yes. He's like, man, he got you seriously brainwashed. I'll open your eyes for you, princess. And With Ajuna, water! And Ajuna responds, The ones who opening their eyes will be you all! And uh, fires a bunch of water, and she blocks it with string. And this great dialogue comes out where he says, "How are you blocking water with string?" And she says, "My aether steel thread blocks everything, and it because pierces everything."
0: I have an ultimate invisible force field and an ultimate
1: undodgeable laser, and <laughs> well, it's also just like okay. Let's say her string truly is unbreakable. It's water. It just goes around it. Like, like, Do you make a force field? If
0: I know anything about water, it's very solid.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It does not form to anything. When I pour it, the reason I can pour a cup of water is because water is naturally cup-shaped. It doesn't actually (laughs) fill to it. It's just that's how water in its natural state is Bruce Lee
0: had no idea what he was talking about. Water becomes the yeah cup. Oh, yeah
1: that's that's why fucking Brad Pitt beat the shit out of him in once upon a time in Hollywood because of these <laughs> stupid speeches about water he had no idea about um so then she beats him up and Juno starts to explain basically uh, Laguna gives another thing of just like ah oh, sure his brainwashed you. And sure, Ajuna starts to tell a story. She's like, Three years ago, I tried to rescue some Oasis members. I headed for the temple and was captured by the Empire. Every day, I was subjected to the cruelest torture and humiliation. Prince Shura almost killed me time and time again. I think. Good start, good start, good start. Good start. I think the worst. Next page. (laughs) I think the worst was when he took me out for, quote, walkies. (laughs) Where he stripped me naked, put a leash on me, and marched me through town like a dog. All the questioning looks and mocking voices. On top of that, he inserted a bob up my right <laughs> <dog>. <laughs> <I> physically...
2: <laughs> There's no way to the this,
1: dude. <laughs> this entire so like on Tuesday I read yeah. this chapter of fairy tale to talk to to reference the controversy yeah, Nick there. mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah sorry I've got to say fairy tale probably accidentally a bunch of times to do this I, I read this chapter and I was just used to like when it started like yes I was tortured of you I was like alright we're doing this again and then reading like the next part I was like okay so I decided I was like alright this is a little bit more than what hero normally does and I I I clipped that part and I posted an image of it to Twitter and basically made something like, this hero's putting his, his fetishes out on front street again because it's so hard not to laugh when you see the insert of a bomb up my rectum line.
0: Hold on, let me get my most intellectual mustache going here. Well, actually... <laughs>
1: Well, apparently, I, I didn't hashtag it Eden Zero or anything like that. Nope. I did mention Eden Zero, but I was not—I don't—I wasn't trying to like openly go to a community or anything. It ended up getting picked up by by various members of uh, fans of Eden Zero, and they let me know their thoughts. And a lot of them were just quote retreats, quote unquote, dunking on me for like being right. like it's not—it's not a fetish; it's deep, serious storytelling and things of that nature, which I generally ignore. But it, it, it got picked up by like I don't know it must be a relatively like I don't want to say big group because it was only like 40 people but enough people that it was like multiple comments to this degree and it was you know blowing up my mentions for a couple days essentially and I'm not lying when I say that Tuesday was one of the funniest (laughs) days of my fucking life (laughs) I was going
0: to say like from your reaction when we just went over it again like I know (laughs) that look I want to say Guys, everyone in our group who was concerned about Chris because, you know, getting dogpiled on social media can have very devastating effects on people. You know, it's so uh, we do appreciate, you know, you guys, you know, care about us and stuff. But it is, a, it, you had a great sense of humor about it the whole time. And it is very endearing and like yeah that's my friend you know kind of feeling to to hear you say like yeah that just made it even funnier
1: for me (laughs) because here's the thing i kept hearing that kept getting people tweeting being like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about or any sorts of things all sorts of things and every time i get one of those comments it was fucking all day long every time i got one my natural inclination is to think about what i said and to analyze it and be like all right, let me go through my thought process. Maybe I really am taking the L here. Maybe I didn't think this through. And I start thinking back to the series and I'm like, maybe it's not a fish. Maybe I'm overthinking this. And then I'm like, oh wait, less than 10 chapters ago, he did this exact same thing with Rebecca where he walked her like a dog and it was 100% fetishized and made sexual because she stripped down afterwards. And I'm like, well, what happened in between then? And I'm like, oh, well, Rebecca had a strip poker fight. And then Jin explained that he goes to robot (laughs) ninja. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, I can't say those two thoughts together and not laugh. I'm like, how do you not recognize this is a shit? Like, it is perfectly valid to enjoy fucking garbage. I am not, you are not less intellectually for enjoying it. But I cannot comprehend the people who are just like, no, this is, I guess Hero can't be serious anymore. I'm like, I don't think he had that. Really going for him to begin with, guys. Like every time it made me go along that exact same thought process, and I'd be like, No, because it it almost felt like an elaborate joke to be completely honest. Like, I was like, Did Nick convince Hero and a bunch of random nobodies on the internet to prank (laughs) me as his gift? Because it was like, That's right, I've got a Hero's number. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Because I was like, It was so perfectly like in line it's like I didn't have to go back a year to think of another instance of this happening this happened like in July was like the Rebecca stuff and then it was literally a strip poker fight into the robot ninja school and every time it makes me laugh and I just it was it was great I loved it so uh I apologize if my joke made anyone feel like I was making them uh, feel a bummer for enjoying something they like Again, that's never my intention. Uh but I will say again that this is a dumb series sometimes and it does dumb things. I, I understand some people are trying to look at this scene like this is a dark betrayal of abuse and Stockholm Syndrome as is literally brought up in the next page. For the num for the number of people who thought I don't know what Stockholm syndrome is, he, they literally reference it in the next page or two pages rather. Uh I do not know how any human being <laughs> brings up on top of that he inserted a bomb into my rectum and yeah. does not laugh i do not like i don't know who you are because i think it was lion in our chat room who brought up what i think is maybe the best point of all of this who was like you know if you were violently tortured by this guy and that was one of the things that was done to you That probably would have been the first thing I brought up when I saw Yeah, You wouldn't say, also, he
0: put a bomb up my butt.
1: That's not my aside. Like my afterthought. Like my first thing, a bomb up my butt. We did it. I
2: think.
0: So there's two different things that make me think. I, why I can't take this at face value. One is the general context of Eden Zero. You've been we 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 could name one of hundreds of examples of from Eden Zero itself and from Fairy Tale of yes, hero, but also you put the boobs and the butt right in front of everything. So that was clearly your bit, your your main focus. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, on top of that, the context of the way that this plays out as well. Like, if you watch the way the Dejina is talking in the scene, she's, like, holding herself and blushing. So, clearly, this is now a sexual thing for her. You could make the point that, yes, but in universe, she's been Stockholm Syndrome, and she basically broke under the torture, and so that's why she is this way. Yes, but in the present, she is going, oh, and then he made me strip naked and get in front of people, and it was so torturous. Like... It's meant to be titillating in the way that she's bringing it up right now. Mm. So
1: you, I I think. It's not like there's any discretion being played at this moment. She says it as openly as if it was a porno, basically. Yeah. And it's not
0: like, you know, there is some sort of like distortion in the imagery to make you realize like, oh, there's something wrong with this girl. She's not making like an insane expression. She just looks kind of mildly turned on in remembrance it. She's meant to look sexy, not like you're supposed to be concerned for her. And this is kind of the thing that spoils Eden zero. A lot of times when it comes to its female cast in general is there'll be these times when like, I want to get behind something that's happening with one of them. And sometimes they do escape this tendency for a little while. Rebecca gets stripped naked all the time. And we have had positive things to say about some of the stuff that she does, usually in regards to like when she leaps through time and again, goes through something and demonstrates a new power growth. Yeah. But sometimes when that happens, it's just an excuse to show off her naked legs, you know? <laughs> um, and in this instance, I do like the idea of what happens here. Because we have this character whose whole thing is the Red String of Destiny. And it's something that she her entire character is like built around. And now that has been corrupted. And so she finds herself tied to the villain. And it also, as we is brought up at the end of the chapter very bluntly, is to kind of let us know, oh man this is kind of one of the dangers that is presented to anyone who falls into Shura's grasp, such as sister, you know, what's going to happen to her. And we find out at the end that like that stuff happens to her. So I, I like a lot of this stuff in theory. Like if it were written down in summary, I would probably say like, Oh, that seems like a cool idea, but seeing it portrayed in this way really takes a lot of the impact out of it. And that is unfortunate when it happens as frequently and as bluntly as it does in Ian Zera all the time.
1: I, I want to also continue that into what is probably the more serious thought about this. As I said, most of this I just laughed at because I didn't really care. Um, but this was also something that from an objective standpoint, I look at and I'm like, well, this is very superfluous because everyone's like, this is the you hate Shura. I'm like, I already hated Shura. I yeah. hated sure when he murdered those two girls in that first scene he was in and dripped blood from the ceiling. I hated sure when he said he was going to kill all robots in the world. I hated sure when he kidnapped Witch and has been sexually tortured and, you know, physically torturing her since that moment. really don't need to do anything else. Guy's already a bad guy. It doesn't really make the character worse if he continues to do more evil things, but is also in the exact same wheelhouse of the evil things he's already done, you know? Especially when we already have no pre-existing connection to these characters. I like Laguna, but I don't know Ajuna. We've just met her now, and she was only mentioned off, off-han- like offhandedly earlier in the arc. So it's not like I have a deep connection. This isn't like Ramsey's Bolton and Sansa, where I'm worried for her fate the entire time. It's already happened. It's just an extra sad story. Um, But that's also just how fair or Eden Zero works, unfortunately. And this is yeah. the larger thing. For most of it, I'm like, hey, Eden Zero, it's dumb stuff. It does what it does. I will say this series has a big problem with victimizing women and fetishizing them constantly. And this is something I discovered. I'd never considered it before, but apparently this is an actually intense, uh, intentional thing by Hero was Eden Zero was intended to be a darker story than fairy tale. And 99% of the time, I cannot notice a singular difference. Outside of the time where Shiki gets his head blown off in, the, like, in World 28 and everything goes to hell, I'm like, it tonally, it seems the same thing. Until I started thinking about it, and I was like, oh, I guess there have been some dark scenes. Like the implication that in that same world, Hamor was sold into prostitution. And that at the end of the Sun Jewel arc, Madame Curranai was sold into sex slavery-
0: yeah. Or the, the time that Rebecca and all those other B-Cubers were going to become uh, sex slaves that were yeah. also statues.
1: like. It really seems like the only way Hero is making Eden Zero darker than fairy tale is having women be victimized a lot more frequently. Which isn't really dark, it's just gross.
0: So. I mean, I do agree with the sentiment that it's bad, but there comes a certain point where you have to wonder okay, but is this on the page because he wants the reader to know that it's bad or because he knows that there are going to be readers who will get their rocks off to it? Yes. And it's never been a secret which of which side of that line it's fallen on.
1: And that's the thing. I guess I should clarify because my joke was at the expense of Hero saying put putting his fetish on Front Street. I shouldn't say we know this as heroes fetish. Maybe it's not. If it's not, he's certainly trying to appeal to people with that fetish, if nothing else, because this is far too... It really reaches the point of, like, the people who are like, Quentin Tarantino doesn't have a foot fetish. And I'm like, I do not understand how you could digest this content and not see it. Like, I I firmly do not comprehend it. So Yeah,
0: if you don't believe it from his cinematography, look up, like, his guest role in someone else's movie and... uh... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kind of erases
0: any and all doubts that there could be about the matter.
1: (laughs) So I don't know if we have anything else we want to say there. this is actually the end of the chapter. So, oh, uh, which
0: has been beaten up by Shura and Shiki and Rebecca and Pino and Happy arrive. And it looks like and uh, Shura says, like, oh, you took too long. Your toy broke. And And Shiki's really upset
1: yeah which could be like a cool dramatic twist at the end of the chapter i don't for a moment believe that rich is dead i assume shiki will use the light side of gravity to pull her life back into her i that's legitimately something i'm considering will happen he'll use the light side of gravity to pull i I was literally going to ask like wait has that
0: happened (laughs) i was not like a not that was not a like a, a thought of like would that really happen? Because I was gonna be like, yeah, that could happen. But has it already Hey <laughs> <laughs> wait, has
1: he done that? <laughs> has he done that dumb thing yet?
0: <laughs> um yeah. So uh, I really wish that I could like this chapter more, but because of the series that Eden Zero is, I have to hate this. Like <laughs> so It's yeah,
1: it's it's this it's Amusing to me because the part I made mention as the joke on Twitter is the part that caught all the attention. But I was like, you know, if you guys are upset about that, you're going to really not like it when I point out that the rest of the chapter is just kind of dog shit. How it has a bunch of lazy exposition writing and kind of boring combat because that's all that hero really draws. And it doesn't have any kind of like... It has a decent conclusion because I... Am invested enough in Shiki fighting Shura that I'm able to ignore the fact that there's a part of my brain that's like, there's not a chance in hell that witch is dead. But like, yeah, it's not a particularly good chapter, all things in in general. And then it just happens to have the line of, and then he shoved a bomb, my rectum which I fucking love our community because they have been posting nonstop memes of other serious manga that just added. <laughs> so like it's the last page of look back and it's her on the exercise ball looking at the computer just saying and then you shoved a bob up my <laughs> every time it makes me laugh.
0: Okay. Let's move on to Hunter's Guild Red Hood. Now. Hell yeah. It's chapter nine. The exam begins. It's the debarkation exam that uh, Velo and company are taking, which is a cops and robbers game. Now that we've gotten a demonstration of uh, debonair's power and also the confirmation that Grimm is going to take part as the other test uh, giver. We get like a very full and thorough explanation of how the game cops and robbers works, which okay. Fair enough, like lay it I, all out. It
1: may um, not be a thing in people's countries, you know? It might not,
0: yeah. Or maybe, you know, it was just not a thing on your playground, so. Um, uh, they do establish, and this was a suspicion that I had last week, but I we didn't have confirmation of it, that if someone is arrested, then a free robber can tag them and set them free. And, of course, they don't just tag people. They have handcuffs that they have to put on the robber in order to arrest them and send them to the jail. Uh, and she says, yeah, we are going to stay here on the roof, not moving for the first five minutes. Mm -hmm. So you should use that head start to get running. And, uh, so the, the, you know, test takers are all left to think about, like the way the The way to get, you know, passing this test is to find the correct means of escape. And if you fail that you fail the exam. And so. Uh, she claps her hands. And is like, all right, ready, go, and uh, a few. But they're all kind of like caught off guard uh, by this, and then the group disperses, and a bunch of people start running away. But Tilty, uh, kind of pauses and looks back, and everyone's just kind of like, wait, why are a bunch of them not moving? As we say that, uh, uh Vello and Bonkers and Mario, Mario,
1: yes, Mario.
0: The guy with various phobias who was introduced in the last chapter and a few others have not moved from where they're waiting to take the test. And so Tilty and Milti are like, why aren't you moving? And Velo says, right now, running is a bad idea. There's something contradictory about this test. Just running for two hours won't work, I don't think. So I'm going to see if I can confirm something. Uh, and Tilty's like, well, yeah, but if you get arrested, then that's not going to mean anything. And Velo's like, yeah, come free me if I get arrested. <laughs> Because we're good friends, I guess.
1: Well, Nick, they've been spending like what months together on this ship? Now you would say, well, if they were friends, surely we would have seen like a scene of them interacting in those months, surely, they maybe. were studying together last chapter. There I guess. you go. They've been roommates, so yeah, been roommates. you got to assume there's some kind of relationship there, you know? Yeah. It would have been nice to, you know, show it, but whatever. We had to find out that Mario Oris has a leftover phobia. It's a thing. Yes. It I, apparently it is a real thing. So, you know, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to insult anybody who who may have that. So Mario says
0: that if the idea that they have, which he thinks that he and Villa have the same idea, if it works, then it's possible they could all pass the test. And but Villa's like, but you know, we're not sure of it. So you can run if you want to, basically. And they look at Bonkers and are like, are you thinking what we're thinking? And Bonkers is like, oh, yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) We are given some introductions to the other characters who are standing beside them, including another large woman uh, that has been introduced in Red Hood named Miguel Magagia. Lady Lady Gaga. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm not sure how
1: I'm not sure how to
0: pronounce that name. Miguel, my Miguel, Miguel. I don't know. It's
1: weird because normally I would try to go based off the context of what the rest of the names in the series are. But the rest of the names in the series are fucking Big Joe bonkers and horseshit like that. So
0: I don't know. She goes on talking about how God will degrace them with divine protection and stuff. OK, uh, Tilty is like, yeah, let's let's run away. And so he and Milty run away uh debonair says i know y'all are plotting something but i won't ask what just show me what it is through action you've got three minutes left you can use it for a strategy meeting if you want and so uh they kind of huddle up and uh we there is a small girl with them who has tamari hair so i am going to constantly think of her in exclusively that way uh mario uh says like we should begin with introductions which i would have personally appreciated but everyone's like, "No, we don't have time for that." Shouldn't you know everybody on the boat already? <laughs> like, you've been on this boat for fucking months. Yeah, but he's only been roommates with two of them. So. <laughs> I know,
1: but you've been on the boat with everybody.
0: <laughs> I guess that's another—that's another point in my favor of like not believing the Velo and are friends. Because if this—if this series is not showing us anything, I guess we're supposed to believe it didn't happen.
1: So. Yeah. They've been on this boat. They've just never talked to during the whole exam. Everyone's just meeting for the first time. Like, oh my gosh, Tiltie, you're on this boat? I remember when you took us on the cab right here and got on the boat with us. I didn't realize you were here the whole time.
0: <laughs> I mean, I would have stayed locked up in my room the whole time, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, am I going to go outside and they're going to make me do manual labor? Oh, well, I can just sit out there and think about Bremen, that cool dude. I can't wait for him to get all those peanuts. He's going to have such a great fucking time.
0: I'd just be like, well, as long as I got Wi-Fi, I'm not moving. So <laughs> um, so uh, Velo says that uh, there must be something else to the exam, which isn't revealed yet. We kind of like just go skip basically to the end of the preparation time as Debonair and Grimm are getting ready to chase after everyone. And uh, they strike an imposing we're coming looking like giants kind of image thing. I guess.
1: Yeah, it's very Um, intimidating. They're both very large.
0: Yes. Uh, So, the different participants start to take action. First, Lu Feng Zhang, who is um, Chinese and does Chinese
1: mystic stuff. That is a fair way to describe him. Now, uh, I should note, his name's not Lu Feng
0: Zhang. Oh, that's the Elixir he uses. His real name is, real name is Nulo, Zhao. Nulo <laughs> yeah. Zhao. My mistake. No, you're good. So, the elixir is, is called Lu Feng which is a cooler name than Nulo Zhao. So <laughs> <laughs> It really is. It should be his name.
1: It's a bit it's a much better name.
0: Uh and essentially he has a breath weapon now because he took this special elixir pill thing. Uh, The small Tamari-haired girl uses a um, whip to bind up Debonair and uh, Grimm's arms. Uh, Her name is Portion the Juggler. Look at her juggle that whip. Uh Look
1: at her. She's so cool. She refers to
0: it as flying circus wire arts, which, sure, I'll believe that, you know, some flying circuses include grappling hooks. Sure. Uh, Bonkers tries to punch Grimm, and, um, they immediately counter it because the rope couldn't stop them, but it turns out this was all a distraction as Velo comes in from around the side, and we get a flashback to their little powwow strategy meeting, and, uh, Velo says that his theory is to make it so that the cops can't arrest them, which is why they called all that special attention to the handcuffs. Essentially, he says, they only have so many handcuffs with them, so... They probably have more elsewhere. Otherwise, they could only arrest so many of us. So, if we take away their handcuffs, they will be able to slap handcuffs on any of the test participants, and then we'll basically escape by attacking them directly. So we go after the handcuffs, and that's where we is close our chapter with this, you know, big action uh, pose as Velo is diving in trying to snatch the handcuffs away. As we get this narration says, those will let us go from prey to hunter.
1: Yeah, they're all hunters, Nick. They've become. They've finally graduated. Um, do you have any long-standing thoughts about this chapter, Nick?
0: I mean it's kind of all right I I, do appre- <laughs> I, I I appreciate that like hey yeah there was a little there was a little trick to this test and it is essentially something that is thematic to the idea that was introduced in the beginning of the series where you know you in order to fight werewolves you have to you know flip the dynamic uh-huh. and so that's essentially what you're being tested on doing um
1: but that's about it i mean <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I'm in sort of a similar place. Like, I do like that there's more to this test than first meets the eye. And I like the idea that Velu and a couple of the other characters picked up on that, you know, and I like that it, we know somebody who specifically didn't. So we have a contrast. You know, we know Tilty and Milty have failed this exam before. And you can kind of see why in this moment where Tilty. Doesn't pick up on the fact that there's like sort of an extra twist to this exam that they're not seeing and just starts running away because, you know, that's the easy thing to do. As I said, I think if we got known Tilty even a little bit more, maybe I'd care. But we did get a chapter devoted to like introducing those characters in a giant hermit crab, So that's pretty cool. Um The weird thing for me is simultaneously then also introducing three other characters who are supposed to be significant But at the same time, we also know who Mario, whatever his Mirios or whatever at Big Joe Bonkers. So I'm like, why not introduce all of these characters at the same time? Why do we get introduced to three of them now in a moment where there's, I guess we get to get a smaller snapshot of each of them. But it's hard to like, like, I mean, Lady Gaga doesn't even do anything in this chapter. (laughs) She's just there. So it's one uh, of those things yeah. where you're like, it's just an odd moment. It, it it it's it's a very strange thing. I do ultimately come away being like, all right, I'm excited to see this game of tag get going. Uh, although there is also a part of me that's like following the rankings. And I'm like, ooh. That's not good. So uh, maybe we won't be uh, hanging around the world of of Hunter Hunter or Hunter Hunter uh, Hunter Guild, whatever, for too much longer. Uh, Just long enough for us to find Bremen so he can get his peanuts, because that's the only thing I fucking care about. It does,
0: um, you know, make you kind of wonder, knowing that the series does not currently appear to be performing well. And you know, who knows? With the limited amount of information that we, as just internet fans, in the english-speaking world have to work off of um but it does kind of make you wonder like oh is there just like oh better throw everything on the page as quickly as possible sort of thing going on could be the case uh i don't know um we will see how this unfolds, and we will see how much more of Red Hood we get. Uh, by the way, uh, Candy uh, Flurry is over now.
1: So well, it's not over yet. It's it ends this upcoming week. This coming chapter is the last one. Yeah, because they uh, she fucking combined her lollipop powers to make a gundam last week. So <laughs> there was nowhere <laughs> else. to go. We we were really we're really fucking skyrocketing to an ending at this point.
0: Uh. Let's head over to Magu-chan, God of Destruction, Chapter 57, The Minion BS. We get this very lovely uh, color uh, front page of Magu riding on BS's back. It's very cute. I like his arm kind of coiled around the neck. It's pretty cool. Uh, It's a BS chapter. Magu is is taking him for walking. All right,
1: Nick, let your thoughts fucking hang back a little bit. I know you don't like the chapter, but you don't have to call it bullshit right off the bat. All right.
0: It's a pitch it's a pitch black hellhound chapter
1: oh so, uh, so- that makes it's more Star-
0: sense yeah so will recap it you know i guess uh, who bs was but i mean he was he was the hero of the uh Nosukoshu story so you know uh, other other than the i should say uh, who was the real hero of that story but <laughs> so uh magu sets off to take bs to the park uh, and immediately, BS gets a little bit too excited and it goes too fast for Magu to handle. So Magu gets dragged along the ground. Uh, there is a moment where, because uh, Ruru goes with them and she gets BS to shake because he's a good boy. Uh, and uh, then is like, I see, by presenting one's empty hand, one pledges obedience to you. And so he offers his hand out to Ruru. Because <laughs> he's a. <laughs> So Rue is, like, not amused by this in the slightest. Uh, Ren shows up with Nabutaku. They've got some ingredients after doing some shopping. And Nabutiku is like, Ah, should I trade BS? And Magu's like, No, get away. It's my doggie. Uh He tries to get BS to shake and offers his hands out. And BS gets a little bit overexcited in his efforts to please. Uh, so he just slams his paw down into Magu's head. And, um... Then he literally shakes Magu by grabbing him in his mouth then shaking him around. It's a little bit too good of a boy. So
1: Oh, well, you know. If it was a cat, he would have just kept doing it, he wouldn't have stopped, so. Yeah, but that's just so cats do. Yeah. So. Cats are fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, they're great. Little little balls of hatred and <laughs> greed. <laughs> so. Um that that ha- happens magu six Naputuku uh, uh six bs rather on niputaku uh but then they part ways uh ru is taken for bs for more while magu drags along the ground because he, he still can't handle this but then the next day because Ma- magu's thinking after all this bad experience that he's got to set an example for his for his loyal minion and so he's going to take BS out. And he he says, you have adequately honed your abilities as a hunting dog. As of today, we shall put them to test in the field. And he gets up on BS to go ride him on a walk. Uh, And um, the mother of the family, that BS belongs to just says, Oh, thank you for helping with the walks. Just be sure to watch out for cars. And Magu says, worry not. I possess the strength of 10,000 men. Because that's who that's that's Magu. Yeah, that so. really is. <laughs> so Magu goes off riding BS around, uh, and he thinks like I've got to you know I must have my minion pledge his loyalty to me tom- once forward once more. Sally forth, and so they go into into town, around around a little bit. Uh, the cat from the bar shows up. I completely forgot that the bar had a cat, but then my, I thought about it. I was like yeah I guess it did. Uh, so <laughs> Magu senses this as a moment of opportunity and he takes out the book of the destruction disciples, blood oaths and demands that the cat pledges allegiance to him and the cat claws his eye and walks away. <laughs> and then <laughs> Magu looks at the book and sees a scratch mark, and He's like, Oh, look, it's been marked. I got it. So <laughs> making the most of that situation, Yuika and one of her endless supply of annoying little siblings show up and they swarm bs uh and knock magu away and their uh efforts to get to him they want to take the dog home but yuika has a modicum of responsibility in her because she's like no mom would be upset if we did that uh magu tries to get the little sister to put her name in the just in the disciples uh book and she's like yeah okay and so gets another one magu's dominion is growing and growing it can't be stopped um then they realize that magu's all scratched up and uh, so they give him some band-aids and so magu's like oh are these offerings and so they say yeah they heal your boo-boos so he starts eating them and yeah the band-aids make his scratch go away (laughs) um But then afterwards, he finds out that oh yeah, they're adhesives. You're supposed to put them on. So he puts a bunch of them on with the sound effect "naughty" for some reason, which I don't really get. But okay. Wait, what? The sound effect is naughty.
1: Yeah, it is. What the? (laughs) I
0: I don't know why. He has eye. one on his eyeball too. Yeah, I mean, he got scratched on the eyeball. So
1: are you surprised that he doesn't doesn't (laughs) cares? I know, that's gotta be real uncomfortable. Does Maku blink? Hmm. Good question. Like, does he ever have to, like, freshen up that eye with some moisture? Some of that sweet, sweet eye, eye dry, uh, watering?
0: Just carries around this, like, turkey baster of eyedropper fluid. Yeah.
1: Uh. So,
0: in a very cartoonish am I'm,
1: I'm gonna wait for Kirby Mon in our Discord to answer all these questions for us.
0: Okay. In a very cartoonish sequence, which are not at all out of place in Magu, the Band-Aids get stuck to Magu, the Band-Aids on Magu's arm get stuck to the Book of the Disciples of Blood Oath book. And Magu, trying to get it loose, shakes it and throws it into the air where it gets stuck to a pigeon. And for a brief moment, I was like, oh, no, that better not be Guderis's pigeon.
1: (laughs) And it's not. I legit thought it was. Like I was like, huh, that's weird that that pigeon didn't bring Guderis into this situation. The book then falls off the pigeon.
0: And so uh, Magu orders B.S. to use his hunting abilities to track it down. They do track it down, but it's in the middle of the highway. And so as B.S. is heading towards it, oh no, a truck is barreling down the road. And of course, Magu can't stop it because he's not physically strong enough to stop B.S. And so he's thinking to himself, he will not stop my command. I'm a failure. If I want to stop him, I have no choice. And so he instead slingshots himself through the air and grabs the book and tosses it back to B.S., who catches it in his mouth. And then after catching the book, B.S. looks around And Magu, who says from his position flattened on the ground with tire marks going over his face, Well done! I praise thee utterly! So it all worked out. Uh, Then he gets blasted into the water because he's all flat, which makes him light because cartoon logic. He gets stuck going down the river, and he thinks, Oh, this is my punishment for trying to expand my domain and impress BS while on patrol. But BS good boy that he is, just jumps into the water, rescues Magu, and carries him into the shallows and saves Magu. And Magu says, I have given you nothing but trouble. I did not want to fall behind you. I was desperate to prove my worth and ended up disgracing myself. And I even put you in danger. But B.S. puts his paw on top of Magu's hand in the shake and just goes, woof. Which Magu, of course, understands because he can understand animal language. And so he says, you, un- you still recognize me as your master. I underestimated your loyalty, but I too must make progress with my revival. And so, he says it's time for them to go home, and he vows that they both need to become stronger. And when they get home, uh, Rur asks about how the walk went, and Magu just says he has truly grown, my reliable minion. And BS gets a gets a nice nap. So,
1: yeah, good for him.
0: A sweet little chapter, more BS, because, amazingly, BS did not go away after that first appearance, so it's it's fine. And, uh, did Magu get some growth?
1: <sighs> you know I know it's the most interesting thing to me, Nick? What's that? This is a really good chapter, and I'm trying to think, what's the thing in this chapter that would be different from other chapters that would make it special? <laughs> and maybe it's not what the chapter has, oh, no. but more of the absence of what would be in the chapter that would make me enjoy it so much. And I'm like, look at them. I'm like, well, in this chapter. So she's good. And that's good. Yeah. Nabutaku shows chapter. up. He's best, good. Best boy. Yeah. Ren's in the chapter. I mean, he's not my favorite, but you know, good characters there. I'm like, who is the last thing? The thing that's normally in other chapters where I don't like them, but they aren't in this one and it just ends up being good. And you know what they always say, correlation equals causation. So it's just like a scientific thing that's kind of running through my mind right now.
0: Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to comment on this. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about Dr. Stone then, Nick. Yes, let us do that. It
0: is Z equals 209. The rocket's
1: hard truth. Time to get still. Wow, that was a weirdly erotic title. It did not occur (laughs) to me until just now. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Hard truth. All right. Yeah. It Um, reminds me. You know what? No, that's a story I'm not going to tell. Carry on. Go on. Hey, look, it's
0: not like this chapter isn't about a bunch of people saying that the only solution to their problem is to go after that moon and then remain rock hard for years if it takes that. So that's what you need. So everyone's working on their plan to, of course, get a rocket to go to the moon. We've got people all across the globe now working together. And uh, Ryusui indicates that uh, Senku's group now has to go from India to Australia because in Australia is the world's most abundant source of bakesite. I believe that's how you say it. Don't quote me on it, though, which is the ore that creates aluminum, which is what they need to primarily use to make the rocket. So uh, everyone lands on Australia after uh, months, years of travel. I don't know, um, which goes by in like a page. Uh, So they make they make landing on the shore and chrome's like, oh, all right. Well, I'm you know, no one can beat me when it comes to rock finding. So. I can have, you know, a match up with, against the geographer Chelsea and we can, you know, pit our, you know, our different abilities against each other to see who can gather the most ore. And Chelsea just says, I mean, this isn't really going to be an exciting competition though. Cause they're really, I mean, look, and she just reaches down and picks up a rock and it's like, yeah, there's, it's just everywhere. It, 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 it's not hard to find. That's how, you know, prominent it is in this area. So they start gathering stuff there is a quick little panel where we see somebody with like a jackhammer working in the background at is just seemingly using her bare hands and going even faster than the jackhammer can, because she is, um, crazy like that. Uh, Riosui indicates that he wants a bucket wheel excavator to help them out. One of those ridiculously massive excavators with all the, with the like conveyor belt of scoops on it that helps out in, large-scale operations like this. Uh, Kaseki gets really excited when he hears about this idea, uh, because, of course, he would. It's a huge-ass machine that he could make. We don't see it get made in this chapter, but, uh, I don't know, might, might might revisit that idea. Yeah. Uh, they talk about that for a bit. Uh, then they bring up um, the matter of, like, the workforce that they have to support and the food... Uh, that, you know, needs to be taken out to various different people. Uh, and so Senku says, hey, you know, don't worry about that though. There is a reason that the first thing we did was we went to Corin City, and they did bring this up way back in the beginning, like hey, all the different reasons we want to have, you know, the freaking agriculture of the American continent. Uh, and off in the distance, there is a boat shugging along, and it is manned by Yo Anukio. And probably a few other people, but... You know, <laughs> Uh, and they've brought a whole ton of corn for them. And uh, so uh, not only do they have corn to eat, but uh, also Francois uh, cooks it up into all sorts of different dishes because corn is a very, very useful crop. You can make it into a lot of different foodstuffs. Um, Suica brings up, okay, so I know why Ukio was on the ship. It's because he can navigate because the radar stuff. Why are you here, yo? <laughs> And Yo's first thing to say is like, oh, wow, Suika, you're cute. And shut up, Yo, you're too old for her.
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing. So I didn't mind it as much because I was like, yeah, Yo would be the fucking weirdo. The group is like, wait, why are you so cute now? I don't get it. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're like the one everybody would be on the lookout for, you know, like yeah. in any community. You're like, I don't trust that dude. Yo would be that dude.
0: Yeah, so fair enough. At least he's not like, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's just the way he is. And he's like, no, yo gets beaten up all the yeah. time.
1: Everyone's like, fucking hate yo. Look at this douche. Look at this loser. Why'd you come here? Go back to Corn <laughs> City where no one likes you.
0: <laughs> but no one likes me here either. <laughs> uh, and he says, I'd already made a bunch of dough and I was sick of wire, tra- wire wrapping donuts So, uh, I mean, I'm a bodyguard, and I heard that Yukio was carrying a really valuable delivery, so I came to protect it. Uh, And it turns out that the valuable delivery is not just the corn, but a battery that they could be slotted into a Medusa device. And they, you know, test it. Senku makes sure to toss it onto an area on the deck where no one is standing, and it does go off. And uh,
1: like, oh, wow! I wish I, I know he wouldn't be there, but I wish I was to see where magma came up from below Dick, Like, hey, guys, did, everyone, did you guys start dinner? And I just turned to <laughs> fall straight through the boat. <laughs> God damn it. Well, we had to search the ocean for this asshole. <laughs> Why is he so heavy? <laughs>
0: um. But Kaseki brings up like, "Oh, yes, well my my work and all those diamond batteries didn't amount to nothing. But I see that Joel was able to make it work. But they say, actually, the Medusa from Treasure Island, equipped with one of your batteries is what's working right now. Uh, and everyone's surprised by this, but Ukio says, "No, look, see, this is actually one of the old medusas from Ground Zero that we found." But it's got one of Joel's batteries installed. And when I try and use it, nothing happens. So they ex- explain that the old Medusas that they were working with when they were in South America were just broken beyond repair. It had nothing to do with the power source that they were trying to fit into it. Only the one that was that they got from Treasure Island, which was the one that went to North America, is the one that was actually capable of working. So all the batteries that Kiseki made can work so flip-flops the narrative there but it does make sense when it's laid out that way i guess Mm -hmm. uh so as a result of that they have a working medusa and senku says with that we now have the key component to go up with us in the rocket on our moon mission suicide run which is something that some of them are surprised to hear the exact wording of that and he explains, we have no idea of knowing when the Y Man would launch another petrification attack against the whole planet. There's no time to lose before taking the fight to him on the moon. So for this mission, we don't have the time to craft a return vessel. And Ryusui says, no matter how the battle against Y Man shakes out, whoever goes on the moon mission is not coming back to Earth. And Of course, this gets people even more shocked and troubled uh, reactions. But uh, Senku just kind of pushes the point saying, like, look, we've got to keep on progressing. And those of us who make this moon landing, the scientist, the warrior and the pilot will have to petrify ourselves with the Medusa device. And there on the moon's surface, we'll stand long into the future waiting to be rescued for years, for decades for centuries this working medusa is our one-way ticket on a rocket to the moon
1: well that's an ominous note to end things on yeah so like this is a very foreboding scenario it is a very interesting one the notion that the three of them are the only ones that can go on this mission because the implication is they they probably won't return Uh, Or at least they won't return at a point where any of their friends are still alive, because it would take uh, an absurd number of resources to build, basically, an extraction team that would then be able to make the trip out to the moon, get them, and bring everyone back. Uh, By that point, I presume a lot of people would probably be older, much older or dead, you know? Um, So, we'll see, presumably, everyone try to respond to this next week. I... hesitate to call this like a really this is a very exciting chapter because that's a very cool moment to think about um but this chapter ultimately not a ton happens i do love the vindication for koseki who they're like no you did make good diamonds those medusas just weren't ever going to work so you were just kind of you it's not your fault basically so i do like that But other than that, it's one of those things to be like, all right, well, uh, let's see what's going to happen with that moon thing, you know? Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, this is, you know, a thing that because we've had the setup of what happened with Suika, you could see this being, like, the the end game. Like, this could actually be the way that, like, Dr. Stone ends and, like, maybe we would get, like, an epilogue chapter that is set years down the line where, you know, Senku and presumably Sukasa and Ryusui are brought back or if there is like a different away team that goes on this mission instead of of just the three of them or the three of them specifically. Um, So it is a nice kind of thing because it's like, it's a believable thing, but it's also one that you could, you could conceivably see the plan changing going down the line. So it's an intriguing thing, but also not so like, Oh, this is definitely how it's going to happen. So you should keep reading to find out if it is so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mashal! Let's talk Mashal, Nick, Matt, Chapter 76, Mash Burn Dead, and the Sand Spear Survival. So we open with mad order saying three minutes. That's all it's going to take to dust you. Wait Um, a minute. Yeah. Did I just hear myself say (laughs) three minutes. (laughs) minutes? Eric Bischoff rips off his mask and has. Uh, Rosie and Jamal body slam a couple of paid actresses that they had make out on live television because this is early two thousands WWE, and for some reason, hot lesbian action was considered an actual segment on the show. <laughs> no, instead, he sends sand and tries to kill Mash, and uh, Mash dodges an attack but sees the giant hole left behind, and we get a narration that says, "The strength of order's magic." Is the versatility of sand itself, and mash gets caught a little bit on his leg, and nourishish to use sand that has been compacted down to a high density can even cut steel, it could shatter rocks furthermore, its flexibility means unpredictability its unpredictability is boundless that makes it impossible to dodge. However, Mash's physique makes the impossible impossible. His muscle fibers, which have been compressed to a high density, act like a tightly wound steel spring, capable of unleashing immense. Holy shit! It goes on for like three more fucking pages to basically say Mash actually stands a good chance against this guy, despite the fact that Order's magic is really, really powerful. Order continues. You're an anomaly. We had to get rid of you. You may be acknowledged by this school. But that doesn't mean the real world's going to do it. Discrimination is just a means for survival of the fittest. Like, he really does have uh, uh quite the the vile philosophy. He says, you're on the wrong side of history, asking for the majority to turn a blind eye. It is so...
0: <laughs> it's really pointed to have the character who is essentially a racist saying you're on the wrong side of history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: so order continues. Take that dwarf there. He's a house servant because he exists to make our lives better. And he blasts him with a way uh, like a uh, it looks like just a mountain of sand. It's kind of hard to see, but he hits him with an attack. And he says, but when a servant beast can't fulfill its duty, it needs to be punished in accordance with the rules. Mash, for every attack you dodge, this dwarf will suffer in your place. This is but an example of how your foolish words and actions affects others, and you need to understand that your existence brings about a net loss. Understand? And, uh, little Dobby over there starts thinking about, like, oh, you know, all of what Mash said last time, like, if I was you and I was ordered to fight me, I wouldn't want to have to hurt you, you know? So... Little, little Dobby robot's like, I'll be fine. And uh, Order starts attacking, and Mash doesn't dodge. So, you know, it looks like things are going to be really bad. It looks like a big giant attack happens. Whoosh! We don't see any more Mash. We just see his cloak and his shoes falling to the ground. And uh, little Dobby's just like, Mash, no! And Order's like, that doesn't feel right. Something's off. There are his shoes and some blood but that's it. And Mash, hugging a wall in just his body suit and just, his training trunks, is just like, special hard body substitution jutsu! Why did you announce it? Mash! <laughs> <laughs> and Dobby basically does the trick of having to explain what happened, and basically it was Mash undressed at superhuman speed, so his clothes hadn't had time to actually fall yet, so the attack looks like it still hit something. And Order's like, impossible. And Mash finishes the chapter by just saying, did you really think I'd play with such unfair rules? And just kicks order right in the head. Scissor kick! Yeah, fucking just drops it right there. It
0: looks very painful. Also, uh, Mash uh, has very weird feet. They don't have contours on them.
1: (laughs) Well, Nick, sometimes, and this is a weird thing, I know, sometimes you can draw anatomy without having to make people think it's like super attractive or something like that. Uh, now, I understand after, you know, some of the things we've had this week, maybe that's not always the case. I mean, can you really draw a character being, like, tortured and abused without making it just a little bit sexy? Some would say online, no, that, that's impossible. That is necessary <laughs> to the scene.
0: Uh, honestly, I think it's a moot point because I guarantee you that they're going to f- look at this image and be like, all right, mass showed feet. And uh, that'll be it.
1: Oh, there's a website out there that char- characterizes every character's feet, I'm sure. Like every anime character's feet. Yep, probably. Feat. And Mash just got an entry updated on there. So, you know, you do have good. that.
0: <laughs> good yeah. for them.
1: A new a new website just popped up. Bing! So,
0: yeah. Act, nice action chapter. Very quick. Uh, it's, you know, a pretty typical Mash is fighting and did something ridiculous kind of chapter. But uh, I will say that the moment of him kicking order in the back of the head...
1: Very nice. Oh, yeah. So. I think it's a really good chapter. I do love just seeing Order's twisted philosophy of this person being like, no, it's your fault this this little creature is going to hit, get hurt. You're the monster. You have to understand that this yeah. world ne- doesn't need you and this is your existence. And just seeing MASH just fucking kick him in the head. Like I know MASH follows a very similar roundabout, but Generally speaking, every time it still gets me because you really do hate that person. And then MASH kicks him in the face. And I'm like, every fucking time I'm like, yeah, more, more kick him again.
0: Well, and I mean, like I, I kind of poked a little bit of fun at like the sheer audacity of it. But I mean, yeah, the hypocrisy of, you know, tyrants is, you know, that's it. Like it's, you know, people saying like, no, no, no. The reason that these people are suffering is because you're resisting the order. If everyone just, you know, quietly obeyed things, then we wouldn't have to come down on them so hard. And that makes you the bad guy. It's like, yeah, that's the way that, you know, people like order are. So, yeah. And it is satisfying to see MASH rise up against them and kick them in the goddamn face. So. Absolutely. Or back of the head,
1: whichever. Whatever. Just kick some part of the head. Yes.
0: We will then go over to the Elusive Samurai. Chapter 30, Mounted Battle 1334. Kodro is facing off against the general of the enemy troops, uh, who is um bigger and stronger than him. So his sword blows deal more impact. And so when he comes riding in, we get this narration about just how dangerous mounted warriors are because of the speed that comes from there behind them. With, with riding their horses, so every blow that they strike has all that speed built behind it, and it's like a boxer's jab coming at you that can cut your head off, essentially. Uh, Kodro basically half-blocks, half-dodges the blow. I'm not sure exactly if the implication is that because he blocked it, he was sent smacking backward, or if he actually ducked backwards, but it seems like it's the former. Because he's knocked over onto the back of his horse so hard that he actually cracks his back on part of the saddle, and he's just like, "Jeez, this is ridiculous!" Like, I, like, I can't get hit. I can't afford to get hit by this guy because our relative sizes mean that he hits so much heavier. Uh, he's resisting, but he's still getting beaten up even when he blocks the blows as they charge into each other and pass by each other. And, uh, so Kojo is looking around as like all the other warriors are shouting out warnings to him saying you're no match for him because he's bigger and stronger than you. But Kodro just thinks like, I just can't leave these guys though, because I'm the only mounted warrior here. Uh, uh, and we get narration further that explains that because foot soldiers are slower and less powerful than mounted warriors, it would be like a few couples out for a stroll being creamed by a giant scooter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do kind of get that analogy. Um, and that's why the two warriors that were taken out in the last chapter were attacked first. Is because they were the mounted warriors. So they were they took the top priority. And Kocher is like, I can't fall here because this entire section of the battle will turn if I do. So
1: and to be keep- clear, they're still alive. They were just knocked off. We see them yeah. later in the chapter. They're or at least we see square, square eye with circle features or whatever.
0: Right. Uh, but they're down for the count currently. And Kojo is like, if I go down, then the uh, then things are bad. So they strike each other again. Kodro takes a big wound on his arm, which spurts out some blood. And uh, his... his His opponent is just thinking like, oh, he's just getting weaker every time that we clash and he's not going to be able to block me the next time that we strike. I'm not interested in killing this boy, but the Kakushi wants me to. He's incompetent, but incredibly greedy. (laughs) A great combination. (laughs) And he's just, you know, looking ahead like, this is great. I'm going to rise up with his ambition and I will rise to rule Shinano myself. But uh, the... Circle Square featured guy just shouts out to Kojiro, uh, and and he says, yo, Kojiro! And Kojiro's like, oh, come on, no, no, forget about me, finish the enemy. And then he's like, wait a minute, how, how do you know my name? I never told you guys my name. And they explain, oh, when Oshinodono was angry, the messenger ignored him, and... He praised you over and over again, and there's just this little montage of shots of Tusk of, of uh, Tokiyuki saying, "Like, oh, that's Kotro. Isn't my friend Kotro?" <laughs> <laughs> and Kotro just thinks to himself, "Oh my god, that's so embarrassing." <laughs> but in that moment, he he thinks to himself, "Now I feel as if I'm hearing the young lord speaking through them. I must hit my opponent at least once." so as not to dishonor my Lord. And so he and his opponent charge towards each other, but this time he steps up onto the, his saddle and he jumps up over the sword strike while swinging his own katana and nicks the guy in the neck. He just barely manages to dodge. And Kojo's like, that's unfair. How is the guy that big capable of dodging like that? <laughs> um, And he's like, oh man, God, this guy's tough. Uh the way he shouts out Grar, that shows us Frosty. I'll have to steal that sometime. <laughs> but then he just slumps over in his saddle and he's like, I'm too weak. Like, the last attack seemingly took a lot out of him. And uh, the general says, hey, don't fall over on me. I won't let you die so easily. I'm going to cut off your arms. And then, hey, hey. And, Two Of the soldiers, including I believe the other mounted soldier that we yeah, saw, I think before. it's
1: I think it's bald guy who's actually not bald, he has a little bit of right. fuzz on the back of his head that's shaved right. or something like that. I don't remember his exact title, but uh, he and I
0: uh, and the uh squinty guy whose eyes are not squinty when he doesn't squint them, uh, grab onto him from below and start to tug him off of his horse. And they're like, you got careless and you stopped riding around and there are none of your men left here to help you. And we get further explanation of battle tactics saying that, you know, mounted warriors cannot stop in the midst of of enemy foot soldiers because they'll down the rider or they'll kill the horse. And then that warrior becomes just another foot soldier. And so they hold him down and they are holding his arms to his sides on the ground and they say, Get him, Kodro. This kills yours. And Kodro goes riding up and he's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, this is is so cool. You know, fighting alongside my comrade is so thrilling. And he shouts out saying, I am Kodro of the Elusive Warriors. And I'm taking your ferocity and your head. There's a cool composition of the shots as he comes charging in where his sword goes down to the next panel where we see the guy's head and is perfectly bisecting it. And then
1: on the next page, oh, he perfectly bisects the guy's head. It does not leave any, like, it's not gratuitous, but there is not a doubt in your mind that that dude is fucking wasted. He is dead. Dead as
0: dead can be. It's at the same time horribly brutal and also comedic because his top knot comes clearly off and springs into the air on top of all the blood and gray matter that goes flying.
1: And kojiro so. stole his grar.
0: Yeah, he went grar. So don't be surprised, I guess, if in the future Kurojuro goes grar more frequently. <laughs> yeah, damn
1: straight. He should.
0: Uh, We get a bit of the Kakushi's uh, main force then as the Kakushi is talking to Ichikawa. And uh, he's just reporting, like, yeah, there is a desperate struggle between the enemy rear guard uh, and our forces. Uh, And eventually, yeah, our numbers are going to overwhelm them, even if the women and children do escape. So, you know, things are things are fine. But the Kakush is like, we can't let the women and children escape. I'm cartoonishly evil and bloodthirsty. Hunt them all down. Also, I want to make a harem out of the women. Like, that just implies how ridiculously evil I am. Just me saying I'm going to do that. I don't need to say what I'm going to do with all of them or show what I'm going to do with all of them. I just will say that I want them to be my sex slaves. And that shows you how evil I am. Isn't that amazing?
1: What if I described walking all of them, stripping them down and putting leashes on them and walking them around town? Would I be more evil if I gave you all of these extra details that's for nobody's benefit but only to enhance? How evil I am. Surely no one finds that erotic. Ooh, and if they do, oh no. <laughs> oh, I'll just, oh sell, dear. just sell some more volumes. Am, what have I done? <laughs> like, pinky up. Oh no. Uh,.
0: He's too busy, however, dr- Jigglypuff drawing stuff onto <laughs> <Sorry>. uh, Ichikawa.
1: <laughs> Three different people in our chat room made inserting bomb up the rectum jokes <laughs> at the same
0: time. Uh, Fuck yeah. Oh, man. We've got the best fans. <laughs> so, um, Ichikawa brings up the point, like, if we dedicate more forces to just hunting down all the survivors then that'll leave you unprotected. And the Kakushi very arrogantly, of course, says, like, they're on the run. I don't need protection. Don't you know, strategy, you country bumpkin? Go out there. And Ichikawa's like, fine. And so he leads a force off and leaves, like, six attendants with the Kakushi. This'll work out well. Oh, look, Ichikawa spots Fubuki going the other way through the mist, and he's got both swords drawn. I wonder how this is going to turn out. That's the end of
1: the chapter. This is a great chapter. Like this is fucking phenomenal. I I so a couple weeks ago, I think it was Ninja pointed out that uh afterwards, like during the episode during Elusive Samurai, I didn't really say much. Um, and he was like, "Oh, I guess Chris has already reached the Mission Yozakura family state for for <laughs> of uh, Samurai, where he doesn't have anything to say." And I'll say. Oftentimes I don't. And I, you know, the series is still very new, so I don't quite have the exact formula. but I find when a new arc starts, I don't tend to get immediately into it. And it it tends to actually help to do the recap and hear you talk about the chapter because I'm like kind of picking up on the stuff that I don't. I'm naturally predisposed to not liking historical stuff because I'm so bad with history and all those sorts of things. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to like get through the premise, but then once the characters start interacting, I get much more into it. So like, I don't really remember how the start of last arc went, but I remember getting really into it when the fight actually happened and Tokyuki was having the the fight against the guy with the ants all over his kimono and the the yeah. Buddha slipping away fight. And it was the same thing with this arc, where at the start of it I was kind of just not really thinking about, it. but the moment this running away to try to avoid the enemy thing started I've been getting more and more into it and this chapter was fucking phenomenal like just absolutely from top to bottom. I love the little moment of all the various characters that Tojiro or Kojuro has been beating start yeah, kind of whose names that he didn't know. Yeah, of course. and now that you know, he realizes they know his name because he's been talked about so highly by Tokiyuki, and he has this this battle with this general who is greatly overpowering him, and who to, to, uh, Kojuro doesn't just beat. He doesn't just shout loudly and get stronger than him. He would lose the fight. But because he had that good, you know, stand, it gets the the general to slow down enough that the rest of his team pull him down and give Kodro the victory. And it's a supremely awesome moment for everyone involved. The art carries this great sense, like the, the shot of Kodro murking the guy is just fucking so well drawn. There's such a, uh, like directional kind of velocity to the strike that just makes it so cool and awesome and i love the way the end of the chapter teases that uh the general guy is about to go out and probably murder the shit out of the fucking uh the bad guy i was like every part of this i like i like this a lot this is really really good
0: and i mean you've had you know a constant demonstration of like the way the kukushi and ichikawa interact and so you just kind of think like you know, Ichikawa could raise a warning or he could lead the force back there and stop Fubuki really easily. There's no way Fubuki could, you know, fight his way through like 20, 30 troops if they all came back to reinforce him. Something tells me he's not going to because <laughs> she's yeah. been an abusive asshole to him. Yeah. So it all, you know, sets up and has really satisfying payoffs once you get all the gears moving and you've gotten to see all of that. And uh Yeah. It was really cool. And I mean, we've had like two straight weeks now where like one of the most awesome moments of the week was just a a villain of some ilk getting their head cut in half vertically. Just as satisfying both times.
1: Yeah. There's a really, really good chapter. I enjoyed every part of it. Really, really fun.
0: Let's finish then on one piece, because as mentioned before, there is no Black Clover this week uh I, I don't know if i mentioned that actually during the recording but there is no black clover this week. yeah uh it was at a pretty good stopping point at least uh, for last week so chapter 1024 of one piece so and so
1: do we always get the random color logo of one piece on the front page that was the
0: first one that I noticed, but it's not the only one. I don't think that we okay. got this week that was like this. It might be just a new thing that uh, they're doing on the Viz service.
1: I'm not sure. I know that sometimes they change things. I just picked. I've been picking up the volumes of Mash, and I was like, oh, like in the actual volumes of Mash, they actually change how like the title part goes. At least I think they do. I hadn't. I, I had to go back and double check. But usually it's like in the headings between panels, but in like the volume releases they actually give it like a full block kind of introduction so i was like is this something they're preparing for like you wouldn't do this for the volume so i don't know why it's there Hmm. it also might be this is just
0: another possibility that springs to mind it might be because of the of the 100th volume coming out it might be to Uh, mark that occasion but i'm not sure okay Uh, if it keeps on showing up then i guess then we'll know so Uh, We start things off uh, in uh, Onigashima as a shadowy form comes out through the mist as a bunch of people are falling over under the influence of Supreme King Haki, and uh, as they do this, the shadowy figure says, it's not your fault, you just don't have the willpower. And Usopp is there to stay conscious in my presence. I am the man who eliminated two of the topi robo, Usohachi the sibling hunter. And immediately a bunch of people are like, oh my god,
1: (laughs) he's so cool. (laughs) I love him.
0: (laughs) Um, So yeah, Usopp doing his thing, taking great advantage of a situation to look really way more imposing than he actually is. Uh, and we see that um, actually, what's going on is that Nami uh, and uh, the others that were in that group are just hiding around the corner, and it's because Big Mom is um, is rampaging around that people are feeling the, the her presence, which um, yeah makes sense. Yeah. Nami gets on the Dendan Mushi with Frankie to, and is trying to find out what's going on with Luffy. But Frankie's like, Yeah, I don't know. I just know all I know is what Momonosuke said about him earlier, that he's alive. Uh, and so Nami's like, Yeah, and Momonosuke should be with Shinobu, but I can't reach her either. But Frankie just says, Well, no news is good news. It means that they're fine. And Nami's like, That makes no sense. <laughs> when you think about it yes the fact that i can't reach someone on the phone while we're in this life or death situation i don't know if i agree with you frankie (laughs) um people are running around here and there uh a bunch of people of their enemies are trying to reach the performance floor and so frankie you know says like don't let them into it that's where Zoro and sanji are fighting the lead performers uh and we see what I believe is, uh, yeah, it's the heart pirates uh, there at work, uh, including Beppo trying to hold, hold off the enemies. But they're like, don't order me around because makes sense. Yeah. Who, who made Frankie a general of this huge alliance? Nobody. Then again, he does have various general Frankie things.
1: I was going to so. say, doesn't he sometimes call himself the general Frankie? <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, Hey, if no one objects to it, like you guys had your chance, but now it's official. I
1: mean, do you guys have a giant robot?
0: No, I don't think so. (laughs) Do you have a general in your crew? (laughs) No,
1: they have a penguin guy and Jean Bart. He shows up in this chapter, I believe. (laughs) I think he's in a panel somewhere.
0: (laughs) Maybe there's a lot of people that show up in very small appearances in this chapter. Um. Flames are spreading because, of course, yeah, Hiroshi set some stuff on fire. There was fire that happened during the fight between Black Maria and Robin, and I don't know how much of that actually got doused. Uh, Some of the flames are like exploding stuff and turning into a fireball as Brooke carries Robin around because she's exhausted from her battle. Um, And he's also doing like a double act with himself, I guess, which makes sense. He's very used to talking to himself. Poor guy. Um, some of the other pirates are like, are, are you all right? And and Brooks just says, oh yeah, I just had to get out of there because Robin was going to burn up. He asked for an update on the battle and they're like, it's pure chaos. He tries to get in touch with Jinbei who answers, hears about the fire uh, and Jinbei says, who is holding Kaido back further up? Because of course, almost nobody on in the pirate alliance side knows about Yamato at this point. I think it's Luffy, Momonosuke and Shinobu, and frankie i think that's it so um
1: yes i think you're i think you're right
0: um we see you know a few more battles here and there and then we cut up to yamato and kaido and they're launching attacks at each other uh the implication does is of course that Yamato has a lot of the same, you know, techniques that Kaido does, but Kaido is bigger and stronger. So Yamato unleashes this Nabi Karuba arrow and Kaido bats it away. Kaido uses a Vajra arrow and Yamato blocks it, but it sends him crashing into some debris. And Yamato, as he's getting up, says, yo, you've always planned to kill me. And Kaido says, yes, this isn't a family squabble. If you want to wear the name Odin, you must be ready for war. This isn't a game, Yamato. But Yamato says, "Well, is it a crime to admire someone? I love Odin." And oh no, what's happening? What's that creeping up the walls? What? Is... The panels are turning black. No. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So I'm just bracing myself. All look, right. We already look. We already had one of these this week, okay? <laughs> <laughs> So, we get what appears to be the very beginnings of Yamato and Kaido's dispute over Yamato taking up the name of Odin. Uh, As Yamato has been, you know, running wild over the past several weeks, proclaiming, I am Odin, and now we see that Kaido now has him in chains. And not just in the manacles that had bits of chain dangling from them, but these chained to a big pillar and he's only little. This is presumably like very, very shortly after the execution he found the journal. Uh, and he's saying, I'm, I'm Odin. I'm Kozuki Odin. I'm Odin. And we see this is something that a lot of people reacted to. Of course, there's a lot of people who are just fallen all over on the ground, apparently under the influence of Emperor Haki. Uh, and Kaido just says, "Did you do this?" And Yamato's like, "I didn't do anything. They just fell over." So yeah, there you go. Uh, he's starving and hungry, and Kaido's like, "Huh? Supreme King Kakio, right? Well, that's a good sign." But Yamato, if you want to call yourself Odin, then die. <laughs> to which Yamato goes,
1: "Aww, aww, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mister, really?" <laughs> Do you have to? I don't know why his character is becoming John Mulaney in my head, but oh, Mister, do you ah. really have to kill me?
0: So, uh, Kaido says, "Stay in the cave until you see sense." I'll give you a month. To which, of course, a bunch of his men rightly point out, "The poor kid's probably gonna die, like if you don't feed him and stuff." And also, we've got vicious samurai locked up in there. And Yamato starts to freak out, saying, like, don't leave me here in the dark. But Kaido says this message goes for Swordsman of 102. If you agree to join my army, I will let you go. You can shout through the vent in the ceiling if you change your mind. And then he looks at a bunch of very shadowy, imposing figures and says, you haven't eaten for days. Then let's have some food brought in, but only enough for one. And you'll need some weapons, too. And a bunch of katanas get deposited on the ground around the food. And Yamato's like, but father, I'm the child of Kaido. They they obviously bear a grudge against me. They'll kill me. And Kaido just looks over his shoulder and says, but aren't you, Odin? This dick. (laughs) Like like sarcastically punishing his child with death. And Yamato acknowledges, like, I'm Odin. But I'm also the son of Kaido, his killer. These samurai will hate me for being attached to Kaido in this way. He wants them to fight to the death over that single meal. But they'll kill me first. And he's thinking this while they approach and they take up the swords. And then they give him the food. And they just kind of go and sit down away from Yamato and say, a samurai does not feel hunger. And Yamato says, "But I'm hungry." And he's like, "How can these samurai just not be hungry?" And one of them, which is very, very clearly the, uh, seemingly the samurai that um, uh, looks like Zoro, or Zoro looks like, I should say, uh, just says, "You picked a hell of a family to get born into." And so Yamato, in tears, picks up the bowl and and starts eating and just says i'll never forget this food for as long as i live and then he after eating he looks up and says do you think that i could be a samurai too even though i get hungry and uh they cut through his chains to free him and say you're Odin, aren't you i heard you say it that man was beloved to all of us uh and yamato's like you guys were friends what what's your name and the samurai just says what name does a fallen samurai need? Just call me so and so. So badass, even, <laughs> even though he's saying that. <laughs> and uh, Yamato, of course, has Odin's journal, and he says, "I wanted to read this, but the words are too hard for me. It's <laughs> only little, so and of course,
1: he's a real tiny squirt." Yeah, and uh, there's even
0: the touch that you know when he says "journal," it's like spelled wrong, so he's kind of saying it a little bit wrong. And of course they freak out cuz this is you know a great treasure you know the voyage long of the Kozuki Odin and we see that Yamato when he was reading from it wasn't just learning it himself he was reading it alongside the samurai and the implication is that they like taught him to read and is <laughs> and um and that time... they
1: now would also know the secret of one piece <sighs> they know about Raftol, laugh's tail
0: so Time goes by, ten days pass, and we see that uh, Yamato is like kind of half asleep as they're talking and saying, "It really does seem like your father just intends for you to die." And at this rate, we won't be able to round, We won't be around to see the battle that'll happen in twenty years in the future that Owen speaks of. But Yamato says, "When that happens, I'll fight for Wano. I'll have gone to sea, and I'll be much, much stronger." And the samurai say in response, that warms our hearts. And in turn, we will take part in that future battle by ensuring you don't die in this cave. 20 years is too long for the likes of us to bear. And they rush the blocked entrance to the cave and smash through it while Yamato shouts out the warning, my father will kill you though. But they just say it's better than wasting to death in here. We would never bend the knee to him anyway. And they break out through the cave, and in the present, after re- re- recollecting this, Yamato says, "I'm not alone. There are people who believe in me, people who accept me. Why do you steal my freedom? Why do you steal Wano's freedom? And Kaido, the dick that he." Eats, <laughs> while swinging his giant ass club just says because life isn't a series of simple questions with simple answers you naive child and the two of them trade thunder bagwas and clash as we close the chapter and what looks like you know a very you know typical kind of samurai clash you know the big Mm. charging sword strokes thing
1: but they do with clubs Yeah, I feel I feel like I know Nick's favorites this week.
0: Well, you know, one of the favorites. I hate to double up, but uh, (laughs) this was really, really good. Um, I really liked seeing this. It not only adds to like you know, fortifying some stuff that we kind of knew about Yamato already, but also just expands on it more and shows a much more concrete attachment that Yamato has to Wano more than just this kind of idealized vision that he got through worshiping Odin but also this connection that he has with the samurai and why he appreciates them and showing us also more like just how long he's been waiting for this because you know it he's just like you know all the the allies that were left behind when Odin fell He's been waiting for this for 20 years after making this vow as a child, and he is living up to it. He stuck with it after enduring literally a lifetime of suffering, presumably, at Kaido's hands. If he was having to deal with this when he was a kid and he started doing this, yeah, Kaido never fucking stopped doing it because he's an asshole. And uh, it makes you hate Kaido more. It makes me like Yamata more. And uh, hey, more little lore hints because apparently maybe one of those guys who broke out didn't just die there who knows so
1: i i have heard some theories that maybe one of them is uh oh what's his name green Mm -hmm. fucking what is it green bull that's it uh because that the other admiral we haven't seen yet because the only time we have seen him he basically made a big deal about how he never eats So Mm. some people have have theorized that might be a connection there. Maybe, maybe not. Although if so-and-so actually does look like Zoro, it wouldn't be unthinkable for that character to have green hair. I don't know. It it might mean nothing, but it might be something. Who knows? Um, But yeah, there's a lot of little teases there. Uh, A little Susan of a Yamato flashback. I don't know if we're going to get, per se, a full, like, more in-depth Yamato flashback than that. Because Yamato's flashback is ultimately also kind of just Odin's flashback. That's sort Mm -hmm. of the significant character for him. So, you know, there's all those things. But uh, in general, I I really did enjoy this chapter. Uh, I also uh, found this to be an oddly refreshing and validating chapter after uh, a certain controversy had, had sprung out over the past week, almost like comedically opening yeah. up every door again that everyone was
0: i don't want like... to get into all of it yes but obviously yes, it's it did seem as though a case was closed and then this happened and threw it all into confusion again it's like
1: the police were like and we finally closed that case and then someone came in and was like i have this piece of evidence that means everything you thought was wrong and they're like well god damn it all right open up the fucking get get some food order some food in because we're gonna have to keep at it tonight god damn it
0: it was it was nice that we didn't have to wait long for this chapter after that happened but even putting that aside which was very satisfying it on its own that, I mean, this flashback is just really cool. Uh, it has an, honestly, Yamato's design on a little kid is actually really, really cute. And it does make me feel bad that his dad's a dickhead. And somehow, like, there were people even who were talking about, like, some of the things that this does to establish some elements of Kaido's character as well. In terms of he admired Odin so much, but he attaches a lot of that to Odin's death. And the way that he died. And so when he's of course, yeah, his reaction to Yamato going around saying, like, I'm Odin, is like, How are you, Odin? If you're alive, go die, and then you'll be Odin
1: <laughs> to his own kids. Yeah, he's a dick. He's a real dick.
0: So, um, and then just like a bunch of great One Piece badasses showed up for a little appearance too. So lots and lots of good stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh so with that. Uh I guess we're going to move on to our our chapter and MVPs of the week. Uh and I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and say this was probably the easiest chapter and MVP I can think of in a very long time for me. There were two series that really? stood out and everything else was not even in consideration for me. okay uh, my chapter of the week is Delusive Samurai. No other single chapter came close to touching it and my character of the week is Top. Cause I was like no other character shown even nearly like a a sparkle in comparison to top. I totally
0: get where you're coming from. Uh, I would say that we had a lot of really good stuff this week. Um, so I did have considerations in a few regards. Um, I thought about tossing a little bit of something to Magu, even if it's probably like the fourth or fifth best chapter this week Mm -hmm. and it was good. Um, I thought about, uh, doing something for, uh, God. Cause like, I feel bad that we only have two of these because I do want to acknowledge undead Unluck luck and one piece and the elusive samurai. So yeah. I am going to go for, I'm going to give it to Yamato and the elusive samurai. Okay. But I want to say tops flashback was also really, really good. So, <laughs>
1: It's fair. Uh, The audience, by the way, picked uh, Yor as their MVP Eh. and Magu-chan as their chapter of the week. I think a lot of people really liked it. I heard a lot of people say that this was the chapter of uh, a spy family they've been waiting for with Yor. Uh, So I think for a lot of people, this is a very satisfying chapter. and I, I, I could see why.
0: It was nice to see the often hinted to Uber abilities of her that we kind of haven't really visited since like her first appearance or so come back in full and just, yeah, in a way it is just nice that there was a full chapter just dedicated to her just working a bunch of dudes, but I am still with you and what you're remarked on when we covered that chapter before, uh, with just, I've kind of been anticipating just seeing a character development thing. And, this does not really contribute to that, although it was cool and fun. Oh. So, all right, guys, that is going to do it for weekly manga recap. Want to thank you guys all for tuning in on this uh, special day that we record the show on Thursday. We normally do it, however, on Wednesdays on Twitch.tv/rollotti. Usually starting the recording around seven thirty Eastern time, uh, and then you can also check out the recorded version on our YouTube channel, youtubecom recap. On Podbean Weekly Recap It's also available on Spotify, and basically, it's available almost anywhere that podcasts are available. Just look, search for Weekly Monger Recap. Yeah. If you you can follow us on social media for updates on when we're going to record the show, uh, like when we had to reschedule it this week by following us on Twitter at To Be Podcast is the official podcast account, and your hosts are at Rilo T and at Nick F Time. You can also join our Discord server. We send out a notification of when the stream goes live when we start recording. And you can also participate in discussions on the chapters as they come out each week, on the series that we're going to recap. Join in on the discussions of Kenichi for the rest of the month, because...
1: I'm like halfway through this series now at this point. And I truly, truly cannot describe to you how... I've flabbergasted. This series has another half to it that I haven't read. I I truly do not understand this. Like I'm I'm sitting here and I'm like I've read 200 chapters of it. I don't understand how there's another 350 of like I don't get it.
0: Do you remember? What I said when I announced this was going to be it, that I was like, I don't know if this is going to be as bad as the others. Oh, how naive I was. (laughs) Because it turns out that anything it may lack in terms of amazing garbage quality it makes up for in just grinding you down
1: <laughs> so I, I I already have prepared two major things I need to talk about so I've actually made notes to make sure I remember because this is a monolithic series yeah. am I going to remember the dumb stuff that happened in chapter 117 when I read 400 chapters later I when made I,
0: sure to open up a notepad file for this one as I read it because I was like I'm not going to remember all this
1: stuff <laughs> so. I want to know one thing now the most painful part of this series is reading early to mid 2000s scanlations because yeah. those are the most fucking painful things in existence.
0: It's not good. Um, so,
1: but we have a great
0: community on, on Discord. Uh, you can use that to take part in bi weekly game nights and is also a great place to find the Google document that is maintained by Ninja X3i. And we want to thank for helping us keep track of all sorts of helpful information like MVP and uh, favorite series voting and the recommended series as they get added to that list. Uh, be sure to start adding recommendations for Halloween month since we are only a few weeks away from starting that. And it is our tradition to do spooky themed kind of series for the entire month of October. Uh, we would also like to and finally, we'd like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap and Milo Jacks and Winslow Dale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence that you can see in the video versions of every episode of Week Monk Recap. And that should do it. Darn tootin'.
1: And I would also just like to note, uh, give a thanks to our audience who have been supremely funny and cool, I think, this entire week. Uh, I, I want to thank everybody for putting up with the fact that I have had... A lot of technical difficulties. This, uh, September has been sadistic and more mm-hmm. than just reading Kenichi. So I'd like to thank everyone and Nick, especially for the patience on that. You guys have been supremely cool about that. So it is is much appreciated and valued. everybody. Yeah. I guess I need a joke to end that off on. So... Yeah, let's bring the boot down really quick off of that heart- heartwarming moment. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's ribald but also a fart. So a Portuguese man walks into a bar and just starts oh, farting. Wait, <laughs> I don't know how the end is, but let's
0: just say it's offensive. and Let's get out of here. I don't know, but I'm sure that we were pronounced the word fa- favela wrong. So, uh...
1: <laughs> almost, almost certainly, yeah. And then a bob was put up as rectum. Thank you, T Max. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody.